Well, hello again for another meeting of the Corona Committee. This is the 83rd meeting. It's called Standing Tall. And uh, that's what it's all about for us, really not to allow to uh, be bent over, um, bending to all the pressure of wearing masks and getting vaccinated so people don't uh, give in. Better times are coming and there's a lot of activity happening worldwide. Uh, we can see it at home um, against all these ever crazier behavior. Um, to steer things back into a more reasonable path. We have people here today who found ways and means to weather these rough seas and um, who also have plans for the future, and we'll look at this later on. The committee was established in the summer, in July of last year, and it has the um, uh, objective of performing an evidence-based analysis of uh, the corona measures. It seems I'm alone here today. Rainer will join us via Zoom. He's still traveling in an important mission, and he will uh, join us as our big brother again on the Zoom via Zoom. Well, I think a lot of important things have happened uh, over the last few months, and I think that a lot of people are now in the special position um, or are um, at the end of their tether, really, are losing uh, their nerve, uh, are getting aggressive, uh, are falling ill in this very special situation that we have now. So we have to be um, understanding of um, people uh, not being able to um, stick it out anymore, and they're really at the end of their tether now. When I uh, was walking through the city a, a few days ago, somebody approached me and said, aren't you the um, lady from TV? And he told me that Friday is the only day worth living because he watches the Corona Committee then, which on the one hand I found quite pleasing, but on the other hand was um, shocking to me as well. Because, of course, it's gratifying that we give an anchor to people there, but I think it's very important to see the positive sides of life as well. And it's not only the committee, of course, there are numerous great people, situations and animals and many things that uh, can give us joy. So I think it's very important to see uh, the joie de vivre um, in the small things, even if um, the overall situation isn't so pleasant. So all of this together should be a more or less uh, overall uh, pleasant puzzle, jigsaw puzzle that takes us through this uh, these times. Uh, Rainer should be uh, joining us. He had an internet issue. Um, we'll have a first guest now, uh, Gerald Brey. Um, he is a lawyer um, focusing on uh, Swiss and European cartel uh, legislation. He'll speak about the situation in Switzerland, particularly the uh, legal situation uh, concerning the resistance, and he'll give us an outlook. Mr. Rai, are you there? Are yes. you with us? Yes, I am. That's perfect. Right now, uh, what is the situation like in Switzerland uh, concerning the corona situation? What are the rules now, and um, how do people experience this? It's a question that we can't answer in a single hour because. The rules are so complex and unclear by now 
Uh, you can talk hours on uh, clarifying them. And beyond that, for this afternoon, another strengthening of the measures has been announced until now. It's not known what the Bundesrat, which is the Swiss government, will announce. And from that perspective, it's very difficult to answer that question in a single sentence. I wasn't really speaking about details now. Um, probably you have 2G uh, or 3G rules in many places as well. Um, so is there nothing like that? I, I don't really have an overview of what's happening in Switzerland right now. Well, currently 3G applies a certificate mandatory certificates which has only uh, been released by a decree and there are doubts whether this is statutory at all and to um, allow such a strong restrictions of the basic right of the people right from the start it is uh, all grown all of this has been growing on very unclear legal basis when that um, announcement of the um, health emergency of international concern was announced uh, announced no proof was given why in switzerland the situation is so dangerous and this extraordinary measures or the competency, rather, of the government would be justified by that. And quite quickly, early in April, I sent a uh, lawyer's letter to the government asking for more information because they didn't provide anything on their website that would correspond to the RKI in Germany, asking on what basis they have done this, whether they have isolated the SARS-CoV-2 virus, how they tested, what test method they use, what uh, error rates they have, and so on and so forth. And within two days, I got an email back. Uh, thank you for your message. The government is sure that the actions are uh, just justifiable and we can't answer your, question, answer your questions in details and that was all I got. So it was just said and announced and the figures have never justified if we look if we look uh, refrain from the so-called case figures which were just positively tested cases all through the year 2020 I have tried to to find the special hazard of the health situation in Switzerland. There was a bulletin published on a weekly basis concerning this. There's weekly statistics of the Federal um, Statistics Office, and the figures were no, by no means and at no point in time extraordinary. The only exception towards the end of the year, things changed a little, but no difference so long for that concern. And uh, the government has taken extensive measures uh, ruling people's live, lives, 
based on the constitution, we can call this emergency law, or we can call that this is extraordinary competencies that are foreseen for emergency cases derived from the constitution. And the time, however, is limited to half a year. And this is why during summer, there was a so-called um, release, we would call that consultation, um, to discuss a law that would afterwards or post um, uh, on a, uh, afterwards put all this on a legal basis. This is called COVID-19 Act, and this legalizes the situation and the continuation of the announced measures, and this was called an um, emergency act. That would mean it is applicable immediately, um, which differentiates differences from the normal way uh, done in Switzerland with that um, crowd voting that usually uh, needs uh, is needed to approve laws. In this case, this was an exception, so the law, the act applied immediately. And um, now, by end of November, um, we were able to have a public vote um, on the, again, strengthening um, of this uh, law, but um, there is that was not legal. Uh, there is a group of policemen and policemen, including lawyers and so on, who came up with a very well-based legal analysis that the mandatory certifications are illegal because there's no legal base for this, neither in the COVID-19 Act nor in the uh, Pandemics Act. And nothing has changed by this, by the second voting end of November, because that had only retro agreed to the public um, by that aggravation of the Framework Act, but that is not specific enough to justify the effect this has on people's lives. So strong um, restrictions to the life of people has to be made very concrete and very specific. And this is not the case, and it is still, however, applied. And it is pretended that the COVID uh, special situation, as it's referred to, is enough to justify all these restrictions. And this um, decree is changed nearly on a weekly basis. It's not possible, really, to follow this up. Someone from uh, Freiburg, a professor, uh, Marcel Niki pointed out quite rightly that uh, that has nothing to do with the reason or the requirement for specific for specific uh, 
um, asking the citizens to look uh, in the regulations every morning what applies for the day. And even as a legal professor, he is not able to follow and find, based on the public laws, published laws where it's allowed to walk through the roads from the main station to the opera house and wear a mask or not. It's unclear. And he says, um, from criminal aspects, this is unbearable. And quite rightly, he, he mitigated and uh, complained about these uh, applications. This is uh, not allowed to do that because unspecific competencies were assigned to the government who can provide these as they do. Well, it's a really dangerous situation because there are many unclear uh, uh, legal terms in this uh, act and they can do what they want on that basis. So that's really difficult. Now, I'd like to know this uh, referendum you had. Um, there were problems there as well because in the second referendum at least, it was actually uh, linked to other questions, um, if I um, see it correctly, so that that wasn't really so the um, explanation as well, I looked at the white paper and um, it looked like it was really uh, tweaked, optimized uh, to corroborate the government's view. Can you tell us something on that aspect? Yes, especially in the first round of voting when the act as a whole was on the question, that was in June already. There was a lot of advertising done that this act is necessary to do all the financial helps for the unemployment people, for the artists and so on. And for money, if it's for money, people are easy to influence. So this took a major step of the propaganda to accept this act. And the second referendum, end of November, it was only about the additional requirements put in in March that was separately voted on and the new decrees had been called urgent as well. And only this was the vote, but in this so-called uh, booklet that uh, all the people eligible to cast a vote um, included unilateral advertising for the government and the actual question was very confusing because the official title of the um, act was written on it that only had the positively associated terms so supporting the unemployment financial support and these things but not the um, actual um, regulations that were uh, for concern the covid certificate even if it is not specifically ruled out and the contact tracing and worst of all a general delegation of the competencies to the federal government who has a complex reference system to the last article of the um, act 
um, ruling the um, applicability of that law until end of 2031. And I think most of the people didn't know what they were voting for here. That has been disguised even by the technique of the legal system. And I've uh, had to read it with a couple of lawyers together for a number of times to really understand what the construct was behind this, because this um, competency applied uh, assigned to the government in health questions without approval of the parliament uh, so the uh, government only has to inform the parliament and there is no parliamentarian um, approval and the uh, population has given their votes away, the right away, by approving it. Uh, uh, the law, the act, or the change of the law was uh, accepted with over 60%. And although uh, a lot of manipulation is to be um, found here, all governments, all um, authorities, all the media were in favor of it, and nobody uh, or the the citizens weren't able to arrive at their own conclusions. In the first round of voting, there were so-called uh, voting complaints. Many people are in legal ways complained again these against the single-sided presentation in that booklet including a colleague philip cruiser whom i estimate very much wrote a 40 page complaint with uh, which takes a course in the canton where it is formally to be submitted it goes to the federal court which is the highest court of switzerland corresponding to the, the gbh in germany um, there is no constitutional court in uh, switzerland and this was called null and, vol and void because acts of the federal government according to the last uh, federal act i think from 1999 acts of the government cannot be uh, legally checked upon so that means the government has its free hand is free to put into that booklet in um, put all the information they want in putting including lies and it can't be sued and that of course led to the case that for the second round it wasn't better and as uh, how to talk about a free vote under these circumstances is very unclear because the people who have not actively sought information from alternative sources are fully uh, illusion illu um, in the belief that they know what they um, vote about if you look at the big newspapers and even watch tv uh, and the tv news and it only has the uh, one opinion there so under these circumstances it's quite a result i think in absolute figures 1.2 or 3 million who explicitly said no uh, so the uh, nearly 40% of the voters. 
How many were they with the first referendum? It was similar. The agreement was a little lower even. It was 60-40 and now it was 62-38 to 38. and uh, beyond that it needs a so-called um, status um, allowance, um, which is like the states, the representatives of the individual states uh, in Switzerland and together with the national government, they are the government and the parliamentarian representation in Switzerland. And in the first round of vote, I think it was five, five and a half cantons who were against this law. There are some. And in the second, it was only one and a half. Uh, so quite clear, unclear to me how these massive lack of basement basics in this uh, law, how they could be approved to such an extent. And what I think is disastrous as well is this general empowerment of the government to do what they want with respect to health without the parliament or the population allowing, having anything to do about it. Well, we have a similar consolation where the health minister um, has, um, of course, an, his say, and you can give a health uh, spin to everything. Uh, you can probably um, interfere with um, uh, taxation, etc. That would be a very low-key uh, example. But you can really manipulate politics anywhere across the board. It's a very um, questionable situation. Now, would it be possible because Switzerland has this tool of uh, referendum, would it be possible um, to um, put a, a bill that uh, would call for an end of all restrictions or um, that sort of thing, or uh, is that possible, or can it only be individual laws that you can veto? It's always about concrete laws only. If the COVID-19 Act would be changed, and uh, that's going to be applicable on Saturday. The new regulations could be subject to a referendum, but then it will only be the changes, not the general empowerment, because that was approved with the last uh, vote, um, a referendum in November. And it's also not possible to initiate a referendum to change existing laws like the pandemic law. So also Swiss, Swiss people um, are, I believe it's an um, error to uh, approve this in, I think it was in 2013, and some of the regulation should be changes, but there's no, no legal means to do that. There could be a popular initiative as an opportunity, but that always aims to change in the constitution and not individual laws. So that means that uh, this is not a possible avenue This at this point in time? No, the only possibility would be a very radical solution. There can be an initiative with the goal of the complete revision of the Constitution. Uh, if there were 
a majority for that, then there would be a referendum. And if that were accepted, the consequence would be that the new constitution that is pro proposed would be approved and the existing government would be um, sent out of office. But uh, that is uh, the, um, <laughs> the atom bomb, really. Um, nobody knows what will be the outcome. And currently, the set of interests is what should replace the current system. What should that constitution look like? You have a very mixed, colorful picture. And looking at the state of the discussion, the uh, it's presented in the mass media, there is a massive danger that uh, it's going to be new wine and old bottles, uh, old wine and new bottles. So um, it needed a debate that would take years to establish and discuss a new constitution. So it is not possible uh, to have any short-term remedy on this. But then substantial things would have to be changed with the constitution so you couldn't simply say um, okay the constitution will be adopted as is with the sole exception that um, health reasons cannot justify anymore um, uh, in the absence of a, a real pandemic any um, intervention so that health reasons cannot be sufficient to have such uh, laws that you can have such a uh, single modification a focused change is possible there is a continuous new initiative and there the individual protection of the physical integrity is going to be anchored so deeply in the constitutions that no um, effect can be taken and probably the Swiss people um, will be able to vote on that and that would make sense. Um, so that would extend the constitutional protection of uh, and that makes clear that no direct or indirect discriminations can be made on the basis of a certain of accepting or not accepting a certain health activity um, specifically a vaccination it is quite a something um, that the government takes um, uh, the right to um, announce what people have to do with their body. That is very absurd and uh, only because the debate has got on, out of control or the deba debate is controlled. You see this everywhere that that is it is tried to restrict individual freedom um, on behalf of the general freedom so individual health has to step back against the general or public health and that means an abstract term is being used in order to to weaken individual 
right positions and uh, we are not far away from a principle that uh, Germany had in its darkest times. You are nothing, your people are everything. You could say your health is nothing, uh, the public health is everything. Well, it has to be said, at least if that was the case. On top of this, uh, the situation is such that individual risks um, from this genetic treatment is not even uh, sufficient to protect the others. So we don't even make a contribution, at least as far as what we've uh, seen here. What happens is that by the damage that you risk to uh, get personally, you damage the uh, uh, economy and the overall public health. So it's counterproductive, um, even though it was bad enough as uh, if it was like you just said, that uh, public health was um, the one and only objective, but uh, here you actually damage it. It's, it's grotesque, it's the exact opposite. And it's not true that for solidarity reasons or respect for the general public, you should be subjecting yourselves to these injections. If you really, uh, the people who are really are egoistic are the ones who don't think much about uh, it and get these jabs because they hope to get their freedom back and uh, still being allowed to travel or go to restaurants. These are simple egoistic motives and they have not looked uh, at getting this uh, jab with an, an mRNA injection to protect everybody else. That is completely uh, void. Even in the official news, you can find that. So the uh, reason that was given has passed along away. And uh, what the public bodies at best could do is give recommendations, but it has to be left to the individual to do this or not. And for decades, the tradition of uh, free selection of therapy has been completely abolished everybody should decide themselves whether they subject themselves to a surgery what type of surgery what medical treatment they want or don't want and uh, all of that was undisputed for decades and now in all of a sudden we have a completely different set of uh, stories and the uh, the shots are the only thing that make uh, that exit the the, the uh, situation it's absurd to say this and people who already started to subject themselves to the jabs are starting to think either because they feel it in their own body that it didn't do very good to them and there is many reports of doctors and complementary medical people, alternative therapies that they are overrun with consequences which most probably um, are in context with the jabs and the other group is 
noting that by no means they get their old, old way of life back and that they are in the risk that from 1st of January 2022 to, they'll get to the unvaccinated status back because uh, despite of having two shots because it's decided that you need at least three vaccines and then the year after maybe six or whatever it's um, completely arbitrary and uh, that is what most people i don't think uh, i think uh, thought of in a very different way and i've heard quite a bit from people who are critical uh, when they heard that um, the uh, vaccinated pe people tell them well that's what they didn't think of that can't be the case so uh, also they have been distracted and yeah. The um, uh, the uh, presumption of the state goes a lot further, um, and this massive pressure put on the doctors to not represent any other opinion. Only this morning I got a new request from a doctor in Switzerland um, where the um, state director is filing a case against her because she taught something else than the official statement of the government is to her patients. So they uh, can't, uh, they're not allowed to voice a different opinion. That's crazy. Well, I think um, Switzerland normally is such a, well, what, how can I put it? It stands for righteousness and the things that uh, take their well-ordered course and very relaxed people and now you have this kind of consolation where people just can't believe this um, many swiss people just like many germans can't imagine um, that or couldn't have imagined that uh, this is so um, uh, far away from the facts well do you notice people getting really angry or is it uh, something that people simply accept or that they just uh, accept their fate. Well, the just under 40% who uh, were opposed to uh, in this vote are, uh, of course, very angry. We, it's a large number of people. We're talking of more than a million people. They're really um, pretty miffed by now. And the others keep going along, not because they're afraid of this uh, disease, this virus, which still hasn't been uh, isolated to this day, hasn't been um, identified really, but because they're afraid of social exclusion, the disadvantages involved with it, the indirect pressure is huge. If as a student, I can't go back to school anymore, uh, to university, if I don't, uh, just because I can't show a certificate, then it's a massive restriction and it's an um, interference with the fundamental rights that's quite severe and these sorts of things, these restrictions have been introduced in part by email. So the uh, Central uh, University uh, for um, um, Research in uh, Zurich did it by email um, by the um, uh, rector. And there are uh, court cases uh, that have been brought against this and it hasn't been quite 
uh, encouraging. It's similar uh, as the situation uh, is in Germany. Um, you meet with uh, deaf ears. Uh, the crucial questions aren't analyzed and things are uh, uh, get bogged down in details and in individual measures and here and there you may have a uh, success but overall the overall picture doesn't change and many people had hoped for the courts to um, work as a corrective um, power because in Switzerland very early on in uh, May 2020, Parliament uh, um, deserted uh, the people. They don't keep um, meeting on a, a regular basis. Uh, they only meet um, uh, for two, three weeks at a time, and then um, they come back to another session. And they just ended one session, went back home and said, OK, government, you're doing fine. Keep going. And since then, they haven't been involved anymore only to ask for further restrictions so such MPs are really useless. Normally you'd be fired if you refuse to do your job. This isn't something that uh, is envisaged by the Constitution. And so after Parliament has um, failed so badly, uh, a lot of people were hoping for the courts. Of course, they move slowly. There's always a time delay. I saw that in Germany. Uh, the uh, technique was uh, such that they had given such short periods for their um, uh, decrees that uh, law courts uh, couldn't act on it anymore because new decrees were in place by the time old decrees were uh, uh, tried. I noticed that uh, myself when I um, had a case against masks uh, being obligatory in uh, shopping centers at some stage. And by the time uh, I had this in court, um, there was a corresponding national uh, decree. So the, uh, the cantonal uh, decree was abolished and the court case was thrown out. And the courts. Um, don't react, and if they don't know um, an answer, then they just ignore it. Um, I was asked by a, a number of parents in the uh, canton of Zouk who were going to complain against the mass testing at schools at the time, uh, decreed by the canton, and the cantons do have the competence in principle to act on health issues. But this becomes different or this changes if there is an extraordinary situation under the Epidemic Act and they uh, determined to bring in these, this testing. Uh, there was no justification from my point of view. I looked at the official information available on the website of the cantonal uh, authorities to see whether the situation in the canton of Zouk is so dangerous that it justifies the introduction of mass testing. And there was nothing to be seen there. And then I complained against this. Uh, it went to the administrative court. I pointed out as well that the PCR test is unsuitable to determine an infection. That was, it's of course, uh, there's no information involved in uh, somebody uh, testing uh, positively. They didn't 
acknowledged this as all. They ignored it, even though even consumer uh, uh, consumer journal already uh, talked about that in Switzerland. Just like there's uh, Stiftung Warentest, uh, the Consumer Protection uh, Agency um, in Germany. There is a um, journal in Switzerland that uh, does the corresponding thing, and they uh, spoke about this. And I submitted it to court, and they just ignored it, and they uh, claimed that it was the dangerous Delta variant now, uh, and so we have to fear that there is an overload uh, of an overcharging of uh, the hospitals again. Now, in the canton of Zouk, there was never, ever an overburdening of uh, hospitals in 2020. And when I submitted this complaint in February of 2021, I think a single person uh, in the canton of Zouk was on uh, in intensive care. So it was uh, perfectly ridiculous, but the court rejected the claim. It also rejected um, my uh, request for um, deferment of um, empowerment, because in order to enforce an act, I need a special urgency, and there was certainly no special urgency um, not even the general health situation was threatening, so there was no urgency at all. And the con canton gave the only uh, uh, justification or explanation that they wanted to start with testing after the um, uh, holidays. Um, so that's not a justification, but it was sufficient for the court. So we ran aground here. Um, and we didn't uh, take it to the federal court anymore. They would probably have uh, ruled in the same vein. It's like this famous case that the colleague Jessica Hemet had in Bavaria, where the files were completely empty, and she had 300 pages with uh, loads of references, <clears throat> all that, that um, insufficiency. It was nothing, nothing, nothing was in the files. No analyses, no study, nothing. Fascinating. There is nothing available. If there was something, they would have submitted it. I also uh, made an inquiry under the um, uh, Publicity Act um, in Switzerland. That's corresponding to the Freedom of Information Act in the US uh, for transparency of um, administration um, to give uh, citizens um, and uh, the opportunity of looking into administrative acts and I um, submitted this um, in, um, in uh, to the administration and the administration then has 20 uh, days uh, to respond and it was ex it was extended x amount of times uh, due to the corona situation and then we finally finally got an answer and um, most cases most aspects weren't addressed so uh, they referred to minutes of uh, government meetings where they simply decided um, um, well there's no minutes justifying the um, epidemic situation uh, declared by the federal government um, and then they give some uh, information on uh, ir uh, irrelevant details. 
And the one thing that was really interesting, that in April, as early as April, uh, less than a month after the declaration of the epidemic situation and the empowerment of the government, the uh, draft of this COVID-19 Act was in place. So they knew from the very beginning that this would be uh, longer than six months. So the whole thing was um, a theater play. Uh, they pretend like there's a health crisis and the legal basis uh, created by the Epidemic Act um, is uh, abused because it uh, regulates quite clearly what measures may be taken vis-a-vis -vis individuals, under which conditions, and what um, pre preconditions or what measures can be taken vis-a-vis -vis the population. And this distinction is completely glossed over. And uh, in particular, this giant lie is used that healthy people might be subjected to such measures. That's the key aspect, not only for Switzerland, where the whole country was turned into a hospital, better into a madhouse, is a better term of putting it. Rainer, Rainer is back. Hello. Hello, Mr. Bright. I'm sorry to uh, come in, in late. We had a uh, power outage here. This is why I had to start this internet browser again. So the core problem, as you've just said, it's a gigantic staging here, uh, showing or pretending that we have a health crisis. That's what it all started with, at least here in Germany. And I think it was quite similar in other countries. The person um, directing the RKI said, you have to do this very risky. You don't have to ask questions. I think that's the core issue here, that the legals don't ask questions, although they are actually installed for that, to, to ask whether they are pandemics or not. We have uh, proclaimed there is no. So our main task now is in Switzerland, Austria, in the US, elsewhere, I have to make sure that the courts come back to do their jobs. And you have mentioned this, check or verify whether we actually have asymptomatic diseases. And if that's not the case, what's happened to the PCR test? There's also the fourth decision, um, PCR test um, from Turkey this time. Um, so there are things going on against the PCR test. But the whole problem, I would think, is the break this dogma, you are not allowed to ask questions. That's what courts are there for, to ask questions. Yes, but we have a problem of whether the judges are independent and really uh, still work in favor of the, uh, the law in Germany, the flagship is uh, the organ with the highest reputation, has become uh, a laughing stock right now because the federal Supreme Court is uh, really um, quite paltry by now. Uh, it's really sad. When I studied back in the 1980s, they had a very high reputation. Whether it was justified at the time, I don't know. But back then, there were good decisions still. But now 
the Supreme Court is refusing to uh, do its job. And in Switzerland, with the federal court, it's, no, uh, it's not much better, really. Unfortunately, there are some rulings from the summer of 2021. And for me, it becomes, uh, they make it clear that the judges simply um, strengthen the um, federal government, don't ask the right questions, and they even go so far. And um, are you sitting well? It is an official um, fact that we have a pandemic. It's enough to look at uh, the uh, figures of the Federal Statistics Office and um, to look at figures of the last quarter of 2020 and the first quarter of 2021 is enough. And they only quote absolute figures that, without any comparison, uh, mean nothing. Nobody can um, judge this. That, to me, shows um, their evil intention, their uh, deliberate obfuscation. I. Um, monitored the absolute death figures over the entire year of 2020 and 2021. There was never a uh, reason for uh, concern. The average uh, age of people dying from uh, COVID-19 was above the average age of um, um, death in Switzerland. There was a slight uh, excess mortality for a short period of time um, of 10 to 15 percent that uh, certainly cannot possibly justify uh, these uh, measures if we'd taken consideration uh, into consideration uh, uh, if we'd uh, looked at this there we might have uh, seen years ago that there was a, a flu epidemic that uh, caused um, an, an excess mortality of uh, 10 to 15 percent. So we don't need to rely, we can't rely on the courts anymore. The rest of cosmetics, only uh, one uh, decree or the other may be corrected because it's disproportional, but that's not the key thing. I am working in conjunction with other uh, lawyers now to consider how can we get the federal court directly involved with these questions, particularly the PCR test. But it's very difficult because there are legal obstacles. Uh, the admissibility prerequisites here, and it's less about the uh, prospect of succeeding in court, but to uh, make this public and inform people about um, the fact that if these core questions aren't addressed and the court refuses to even look at them and uh, appraise them, then more and more people will be uh, able to see that the current system called democracy is at the end of its tether, is bankrupt, and that the division of powers is only um, a uh, phrase written on paper and that um, is referred to again and again by politicians, but has nothing to do with real life anymore. Is there lots of protest going on in Switzerland? Is there lots of uh, protests on the streets? People are joining up, or is that not the case? Mm, yes, there has been a lot of uh, great protests uh, going on. And when uh, they threatened to become too successful uh, near Bale in Eerstal, there was a big demonstration. They immediately uh, started banning this again. Um, 
uh, demonstration approvals weren't given. And you can always argue that you have to ensure public health, public security, and uh, if there are counter demonstrations that are announced, then it's even easier to ban the demonstration. And at the beginning of the pandemic, the uh, federal government practically banned any assembly, anything, uh, any assembly of more than five people was um, banned. And I have uh, a number of cases pending here uh, for people who uh, demonstrated against this uh, to demonstrate uh, for the um, inf uh, for the right, the fundamental right of uh, um, the right to assembly. Um, and they were uh, fined and uh, court courts decided that no this is not an uh, abolition of the right of assembly they couldn't still have they could still have um, made their voices heard uh, over the internet they could have turned to politicians etc and that's absurd of course so uh, in um, July uh, these things were still uh, accepted now at the beginning of September this was corrected that's a little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel but it's only marginal and they said it's uh, disproportionate if a cantonal uh, decree restricts the right to assemble uh, assembly of more than 15 people of course that's right that's true but we have to see what uh, impact that will have I um, uh, just in a court of appeal um, for one case that this would of course uh, apply to the federal um, decree and the Swiss constitution explicitly says that the intervention interference with the core of a fundamental right is always banned uh, particularly when there's a crisis because otherwise they're always uh, at the disposition of the um, uh, institution issuing a decree and that can't be acceptable at least the lawmaker has to make a decision even the lawmaker cannot interfere with the core of a fundamental right but that is something that you can observe i imagine the entire fundamental rights uh, um, idea is uh, turned on its head everything is put under the uh, condition of uh, proportionality and it's always public health, public security, and the state's um, obligation to protect its um, uh, people uh, that win. And that can then damage millions of people to wear a mask that is uh, proven not to um, protect against viruses, but is harmful uh, to health. There are x amount of uh, proof and everybody can test it you just need to wear the mask long enough and then you can see that you don't get enough uh, air that you get uh, dizzy whatever and that is supposed to uh, be in favor of public health and again last year i wrote an article in uh, the journal the europeans that's a monthly um, a journal in Bale based on uh, Steiner's philosophy where I spoke about the health dictatorship in Switzerland on route to the health dictatorship. Well, by now we've arrived there and I pointed out at the time that 
our uh, Mr. Drosten here, it was a special um, uh, commissioner of the Federation, uh, one Daniel Koch, who, when the crisis was deepest, said masks are pointless. Um, in the summer, then, he said the exact opposite. You absolutely need to wear masks. And the question as to why has this changed now, he said, well, in the spring, we didn't have enough masks. And now we do. <coughs> that's, that's fascinating. Exactly well, the same situation as here. Here, uh, in March, I started this petition, I think 27th of March, do a baseline study if we need corona data, precise representative analysis, whether this virus really is as massive as it said. And I got lots of response from people who signed it. And I asked the question whether it's the case that uh, maybe somebody could get hold of masks, somebody who has uh, um, trade relationships with China, because that was the reason for the lockdown, because we didn't have enough masks. It's hard to re uh, recall this now. That was the reasoning at the time. And lots of people wrote to me saying, we d have been delivering to the army and hospitals and we have made offers and they are not wanted. Uh, so, and then uh, suddenly a huge amount of delivery of masks was kept in the customs or disappeared somewhere where Merkel um, uh, complained to the Chinese or Trump and was very, very strange. And that was the reason. And at the time already, the masks were there, as we can see now. And uh, that would have been quite different, though. <clears throat> Um, not the hotspot, so it would have been easy to uh, get a, a, a cargo airplane from the military, send it over to China and pick up those masks. They could have done that. They could have even bought a uh, production facility um, um, to put this up quickly and start producing masks. Uh, stand off. Uh, there's no argument. So quite clear here. It was just up front because there was a different agenda. And if I can say something else we got a leak once from the we've got this panic paper on how to spark fear in the people to make them go along because the grandmother might die if it visited by the grandchildren and there was this action paper which was a fantastic uh, design if we look it back of what they had thought of at the time in March 2020, when they had the fantasy to have massive permanent testing that uh, people have to be locked, the asymptomatic and slightly symptomatic people uh, lock them in unused touristic uh, um, facilities. So how could that have been possible at that point in time when everything was a givenly very unclear and said two weeks lockdown, everything is over. In the drawers, people have had to work on this before. They don't sit one day and have got this ready. It takes more. Uh, so uh, people must have worked on it on the analysis before to get to these findings at that point in time so we see it's a pure narrative right from the beginning of otherwise it would have been done this way this has had been planned uh, a long time before and so it was uh, the 
plans already on the shelf. You just need to take a look at the Rockefeller paper from 2010 with the different scenarios, and it becomes uh, clear more or less that what is uh, being implemented now was already um, pre-designed. It's this lockstep plan, and these um, plans go back decades. And that makes it so difficult to wake up now, because for most people, it still is uh, unimaginable that their own government doesn't work uh, in the interest of the, uh, its own people, which is particularly difficult in Switzerland, because we have these direct uh, democracy elements. And compared to Germany, we have a stronger uh, federal structure. Um, people uh, still have the uh, impression that they are in charge. A lot of people have experience in uh, local councils, and Switzerland um, for many years did not have any um, professional politicians. Uh, those were people who kept working their own jobs and then had uh, political offices um, by the way, and that uh, stopped them from being disconnected from uh, the concerns and needs of the population. That is particularly crass now, and the belief in government is still uh, unbroken in many cases. And I tried to motivate a number of colleagues last year to help uh, people uh, severely affected by measures, be it only for their legal interest, even if they believe in the pandemic. Nevertheless, there are many uh, un determined legal questions, this uh, flood of decrees and restrictions, and they got back and said, well, uh, they don't see this, and why uh, would the federal government be interested in playing dictatorship uh, for a couple of months? They just, it won't sink in um, that it might be different, um, even though the evidence is to the, in stark contrast there are unprecedented restrictions all the way going into private life. This Mr. Koch um, even took the right to tell people whether or not uh, people, uh, grandparents uh, should be allowed to embrace their grandchildren. Could we, somebody has to mute themselves there. <clears throat> Mr. Bry. Uh, this is nothing different from what we have in Germany here. The crucial question is, how can we get the people to wake up? But I do think, Mr. Bry, we have taken quite a big step forward. According to my uh, idea, opinion, is what you've said is an in a staged uh, situation is being seen. They won't get it for. And if I is look at that paper that uh, Viviana has just mentioned, they haven't gotten as far as they wanted to get. So what they think they'll do, at least they didn't get it in the speed, and the speed is what they need. Because in the meanwhile, people wake up. They um, There is um, complaints, and I think you mentioned it in that way, in the knowledge that probably we can't get it. But with the complaints, the public will be informed, and that's the point. And that's um, uh, positively news, I hope. Um, I had hoped we could uh, document that with images. He's muted himself. Uh, 
we yes, can we can hear you again. <clears throat> Somebody did something. Uh, in South Africa, we have a country that is seen as thoroughly corrupt. There's the Constitutional Court, which is the highest court, and that is seen as non-corrupt. So you can't buy everyone. And this court yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I think the day before yesterday, finally had the complaint that we have been working on with uh, the experts here in the committee. So that is um, proof that you can take. Finally, that complaint has been submitted. And we are very, very interested in seeing the outcome of that. Because all the colleagues they say is there say everybody's corrupt here except from that court. Just like there's hope in India. Apparently they were under the radar as well. And that's why satellites and marionettes weren't sent there. Puppets on strings. Well, not enough. Apart from that, it is our foremost task to spread the information, get it and spread it, <clears throat> to give people the chance to get informed. Because if that is all public, what you've been saying, it's going to be more and more difficult to believe that we are looking at a health crisis here. We do, but only by the vaccinations. We've got latest reports that after the vaccinations, we have to check, but um, there is uh, excess mortality of 20% that has um, been started of that. So we can see uh, there was this uh, pathology conference that we held, uh, parts one and two. And um, in part one, with Roger Bittel, I uh, reported uh, on this, and we had huge uh, uh, access numbers, millions from Switzerland, who were deeply interested in this and looked at it. And of course, uh, the side effects of the uh, vaccinations is the Achilles heel of all of this construct because people can see in real life that this is not something uh, simple and harmless vaccination where nothing happens and that these uh, public health aspects are uh, seconded by it, but that instead it is uh, something that can actually affect yourself. Um, and uh, you kind of wonder if you want to keep continuing this. And to maintain this system, uh, you need to keep up vaccinating, of course, because otherwise people would say, I'm vaccinated now, that's that. Um, that's what had people expected. So we have to keep perpetuating the fear, keep the pressure up, and then enforce uh, uh, vaccinations. And if uh, ever more people um, doubt it and uh, they say, okay, I won't do it, I'll find a different job, um, even uh, doctors in Germany um, are collectively looking for um, different jobs where you don't have to work under this vaccination pressure. That is a factual pressure now, even though it's not a mandate yet, but pressure has been exert, uh, exerted, social pressure, and people just won't want to go along with it anymore. So it's really crazy how it um, develops um, in parallel across the globe in Switzerland. It's amazing. Yes, it's true. It's the same thing everywhere, worldwide. And there is a network of critical doctors. Alethea is what it's called, truth. Doctors, scientists, I don't know what the title is precisely, but it's increasing movement, people from the health sector and other supporters all together. It's 
a couple of thousand people already who work enlightening and get uh, support by people telling them it's important what you do and point this out that this is a risky business that it needs individual consultation and that doesn't happen it's only single-sided propaganda without saying it's not a vaccination at all and the side effects are covered up and um, bagatellized as far as possible <coughs> and the doctors who want to inform are suppressed in switzerland there's uh, cantons or canton directors and uh, doctors that have as much power as never before in their life and they really play the game they uh, set out the opinion nothing else is tolerated and with a basic understanding of the doctors and the doctoral oath that is completely in a complete disagreement with that that only because somebody works for a government authority is allowed to um, tell doctors what to do in terms of content but this also contributes to people wakening up and in that site i'm completely with you mr filmish time will is playing on our side the truth will uh, come out uh, I'm sure uh, about that. The question is only how long can they keep that uh, card house of lies up? And of course, in Switzerland, um, resistance in good Swiss tradition has uh, risen in many, many different places in the country. There's lots of different groupings, but all of them make very, very important and helpful contributions. There's an association friend called Friends of the Constitution. In short time, they have over 25,000 members. There's regional groups that do events, that host events, that uh, enlighten people, that support people in how to deal with the schools, how to uh, build up a, a teacher's network in very, very short time. Uh, one of the teachers took an initiative. I think they only wanted to, some little financial support to uh, fight back legally, and that spot was a uh, little spark that started a massive fire um, with more funds in shortest times than ever needed. And uh, now a network of teachers has grown saying, we don't want to teach our students that way. And I think all of that can only be ended by the people, by realizing that the system has come to its end. The uh, courts won't correct it, but the people can by simply not playing along. Mr. Bray. Mr. Sebray, that's our opinion. It has been our opinion for a long time. I, I think the first person who tried to make it um, clearly uh, obvious to us that we can't rely on uh, the courts in Germany anymore was Ernst Wolf. He said it's important to keep uh, information up, get the information out there. Time is in, favor, in our favor because after the 4th or 5th 
vaccination um, uh, in inverted commas, uh, even the last person will say, what the heck is this all about? I've been going along with everything. Um, and I've always relied on their promises. They never met any one of their promises. It's one of the worst um, spoofs we've ever seen. I have something to add, maybe something positive even. We believe that in most countries in Europe at least, we can't rely on the legal system anymore. <clears throat> they had decades to place their puppets everywhere, including um, the courts of law. You mentioned it. The Supreme Court in Germany is completely shod um, after somebody has been installed uh, who is definitely on, this, on the other side. There may be others uh, who joined them um, before this uh, man got there. We can't judge it, but the legal system is broken, maybe with the exception of um, um, South Africa, maybe in India. That's why they were speaking about Nuremberg too. I didn't like that term. Um, I mentioned it last uh, year, I think, uh, once, and um, against uh, many people uh, who argued against it. You can't say that, um, you know, a crime against humanity, etc. You can't say that uh, because it's too uh, tough. Um, but I said, we'll get you legally, and that um, they uh, claim that we're doing Nuremberg too with uh, a thousand other lawyers. But what will happen? We are uh, about to start an international court case with colleagues from all over the world because we can see that the judiciary is broken. We are the people who can make our own judiciary with real judges, real public prosecutors, real lawyers, uh, real experts and real witnesses. And that's what we'll do. We will um, go by the rules of Anglo-American law um, so that this can be transparent. We will make it clear we are the people. We can install our own systems on all levels of government and will uh, be able not only to install a new educational system, a new health system, a new economic system, which is urgently needed. As you said, everything is broken. The system is completely rotten. We can also install our own judiciary. We have the staff required. And those who idly and um, fearfully stood by those lawyers and uh, legal experts who didn't open their mouths, they will not play a role there. That's that's true, and uh, I also kind of really um, disagree with that Nuremberg uh, keyword because that was uh, victories, justice. But uh, we can refer to the Nuremberg Codex, which is massively violated here, and we only need other and independent uh, judges that uh, apply the existing laws. And, and most of these people can be sent behind bars for many, many years because what we are seeing here is unprecedented. We don't have to talk about proportionality either. If you do that, you're um, trapped in legal um, dispute because if you debate whether the measures are proportional, uh, proportionate or not, because um, then you accept immediately that there is a pandemic and then we know this is um, you're uh, running into this trap. We have to find our own solution and we will. Good. I gave us a very good picture of that. If you miss the first button, you'll never do up your shirt. That is 
So if this is not broken up, then you don't have to start with juridical work. I, if, if I'm out of that context, I can't come up with any reason and uh, I'm away from what uh, law and uh, um, a rule of law is really. If the state says up, I'm the, he's the top uh, court and uh, says that health is absolute, then uh, this gets into the most massive dictatorship that we've ever seen. And you can look at the German uh, idealism. Lim from Humburg had a very good sense uh, for saying that when he was young, he wrote uh, article um, idea on uh, determining the limits of the state, very critical on the actions of the state. And he came up with the key sentence saying, the principle that the state is responsible for the physical and psycho psychological um, uh, guard of the people is despotism. It is not a role of the state to do this. And we are in a massive fight of collectivism against individualism. And we try to sub press everyone who still has the voice of freedom inside themselves and try to um, implement a bad consciousness in them saying that they are egoistic while exactly these people work in the, and fight in the interest of everybody else. You just have to carry on that line. If we get established what they are doing with that uh, fake pandemic now, there's no stop to it. We are on a slippery slope. Everything will be forbidden and prescribed, whatever anybody may think of. And uh, that's why it's got to be stopped. Uh, people have to waken up and see what uh, they have in the certificate. It's not about health protection at all. It is the entrance into complete um, surveillance. We've got the technology for it. And uh, of course, there is uh, falsified certificates massively, but that is not a solution as false uh, to participate in a falsified certificate. You have to make that certificate oblivious. The our nightmare is knocking at our door. It's going to be said there's too much uh, false certificates. We have to make that false, um, uh, 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 completely falsable. And the only way to do that is implanting a chip into people. Um, the logic, it's a logic consequence of what we're seeing now. And this is why we have to try to explain to people that they object to this madness the, and reject that certificate wherever you can. Don't test, don't vaccinate. Well, Mr. Bray, that's Gaston uh, Osman Fitz uh, underscored again the last time. That's what it's all about. That's how democracy will be completely abolished and totalitarianism will be fully established and we will uh, must and will prevent this because the truth is coming out mr bry we're under pressure for half an hour the next guest has been waiting i don't want to um stop you but i have to unfortunately we have to give the time for others it was interesting to hear you okay we'll talk about the consciousness crisis another time we perhaps. will yes 
will uh, get back again. Um, uh, yes, definitely. It's great. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much for your great work. I can tell you that in Switzerland, a lot of people really appreciate this and watch it. And the people who have woken up have much more information available than most people who read the mainstream uh, papers and TV and believe that they have a um, balanced opinion now. Well, Mr. Bry, thank you very much for coming. We'll talk again and have a nice weekend. Yes, you too. All the best luck for your work. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Viviane, now we have Julian Stech with us, who has got something very interesting to share concerning his university study. Julian, sorry for keeping you awake. You can hear us? Hello, Rana. Yes, I can hear you very well. Hello. Everything okay? I was listening with great uh, intent. So what's the situation? Master's studies in Augsburg and loads of corona problems. What's the situation? Well, the situation is such that at the University of Augsburg, for instance, the president of the uh, University of uh, Augsburg is repeating uh, the words of the um, Minister President of Bavaria, Markus Söder, namely that uh, only the vaccination can bring normalcy back and uh, only vaccination will make it possible to uh, get back to normal studies uh, like it was before March of 2020. So that is the status right now. We have 2G at the universities. The University of uh, Allen was the first university to introduce that in Germany and then a week later of course, other universities followed suit um, based on the new uh, infection protection um, decree. So, in other words, we um, have a, a, a mandate to get tests before sitting examinations. There's uh, a ban on uh, of access to university libraries for students who have not been tested or uh, vaccinated or recovered. The majority of students, well, I'd say uh, it um, is a mirror image of society at large. Most of them go along, of course, but I have to say that we have the uh, Telegram uh, group, uh, students uh, rise up here at the University of Augsburg. And since the 2G rules have been introduced, i.e. that we have to, that you have to be uh, uh, vaccinated or have uh, recovered before you can gain access to libraries, for instance, more and more people are joining us. Uh, our numbers have doubled since then. More and more students say, uh, I need to connect with others. Uh, this can't be uh, right. And so you have a lot of uh, students who are vaccinated. I uh, have a, uh, the impression that a lot of young people have actually fallen for this. Well, I say um, it's really uh, proportional, uh, proportionate uh, to society at large. There was a um, vaccination bus um, that came to the university last week in order to uh, facilitate vaccination and to capture the last fish. 
Exactly. Maybe offering a, uh, a, a sausage and maybe um, a cognac to go. But the students must be aware of this. Are our students in Germany so maleducated these days that they don't notice, that they don't ask any questions anymore? Well, I, I would start by saying that I, uh, the topic of my master thesis was started in uh, February 2020. I am uh, studying European ethnologics. That means I look at peer groups, about uh, movements. I talked about the counterculture of the 60s in Germany. My master thesis is uh, looked at a, a group like Fridays for Futures. I wanted to meet up with uh, representatives and see what motivates them to work in this group and what are the people behind it, what's their cultural background, how do their parents work, where does that critical spirit come from. And in the end, when I did the first interviews with the Fridays for Futures representatives, I found out and that was, it's a very strict, stubborn way of thinking. Fridays for Future, for example, had the dogma of behind the science. That means they talk about the science. There's only the one science. That means the discourse is excluded right from the start. And that can be coined to the political to the corona policy, if they say they still follow this dogma, it means that's the one scientific opinion that counts and the critical opinion is blocked out or uh, ridiculed or uh, followed the political framing. Well, that sounds really interesting now. So in your master's thesis, you looked at the counterculture of the 1960s and by contrast to that, or in, in, in temporal contrast to that, you were uh, going to look at Fridays for Future in your master's thesis. I thought um, that it was really interesting uh, with your few sentence right now, without speaking about the counterculture of the 1960s, you were able to uh, tell us already, according to what you said, uh, what you've done in the context of your master's thesis so far, that Fridays for Future is uh, dogmatically uh, rigid behind the science, uh, uh, intending uh, to impose only that one science. So it's not a counterculture. It's not a um, uh, independent movement. It's actually a controlled movement. To all findings that I have had until now, I would completely subscribe to that. It means it's massive corporates behind this, uh, firing that climate policies which, of course, it's massive think tanks behind this as well. And um, you just have to look at the green politics like Annalena Baerbock, uh, was it the young global leaders like uh, Macron, Merkel or Kurz? So they come from completely different political sides, but in the end they all meet up and come from one source of training. From one school basically that's interesting well Rainer, maybe you remember or um, julian james corvett gave us a very interesting report on the rio conference 
on how that went on at the time, and I think it was in, in the 90s when all that um, climate issue, maybe a bit earlier, I don't remember precisely, this Maurice Strong who initiated all of this, who played a key role, and certain work groups were established. And the interesting point was in the group that found out that this climate problematics is actually looming, there were certain influences made so that the result, at least to this um, outcome of it, was catastrophic and uh, disastrous, and we had to do this and that, that this needs to be questioned. And there were other three other groups that looked at the countermeasures and they had that problem from the first group that have pinpointed the problem, possibly under influence. They had that as the set basis. So they only thought on that basis of what to do. And that's a similar constitution, um, constitution here that we see this question. It's not question, don't ask questions, like Wheeler tells us in Corona. And if, as we have just heard in the courts, you see that as a given, the pandemic is there, we have the climate crisis, we've got this problem, then, of course, if I uh, expect that's right, I only think on how to fend that off. And I don't go after the basic mistake behind all this. And that's the constellation that we have been working also the um, false alarm paper saying that the basic assumption is wrong and consequently all the measures are wrong as well. Until now, I didn't think about Fighters for Futures in that way, but it could be a very interesting thing that we should dig into. Yes, we... Julian. Just, yeah, well, one... just a second. Um, we don't only have James Corbett, so we uh, looked at here and, and uh, got information from you, Howard Matthew Eric as well. And he also told us what, uh, well, this whole uh, climate thing is a uh, single hoax. It doesn't mean we don't have to look at um, or uh, be concerned with environmental protection. That would be nonsense. But what's being pushed here is being pushed by um, big corporations and more strong is one of the best examples of how, how the criminals uh, uh, on the other side play both sides and uh, during the day he was an oil magnet and then he pretended like he was uh, concerned about the environment uh, and all these uh, counter movements uh, he was pushing i don't know if he was involved in the world wildlife fund but he pushed these types of organizations so they controlled both sides now another question to you uh julian the counterculture of the 1960s i'm not old enough to be uh, to have been involved but i looked at a lot of things there uh, woodstock etc you think that that was authentic? Well, I do uh, believe that it was authentic. That is an endogenous movement uh, that was hard to control at the time. Or well, what's your view on this? I do agree. I see that the same way. This evolved from the situation of the time. It had a left idealism, left left wing idealism, uh, capitalism critical. And they really wanted to get uh, to dust off the old system. Just uh, the way I found this out in my research, this uh, movement in the end destroyed itself or it just dissolved into different sections. 
Some people were radicalized. <coughs> Some moved to esotericism and meditation. Some went to climate um, politics. Lots of the green politicians come from this time. And as, you, as you've mentioned, according to my um, idea, it's a completely authentic movement that followed its own idealism, but not in a hardliner thought as this is done in Fridays for Future as of today. And you can see that, for example, Fridays for Future catches a lot of young people that are Antifa that go to Corona demos just to provoke and uh, disturb them, that these are quick, uh, directly linked, closely linked, partly with the same people in being one and the other group. And this shows the character of the people behind this. And I'm not surprised why it took very long until more and more young people um, follow the criticism and wonder what is going on here. We find and um, haven't been corrupted yet um, who is no longer Antifa. Uh, but uh, invoicing of Antifa, but that is uh, not uh, verifiable by us. <clears throat> but we do see a certain closeness um, to the state apparatus, so Antifa may be even um, infiltrated by the state and not other interest groups. So it's very strange to see what's going on. I did think it was an authentic uh, group, whether you agree to what they say or not. Um, uh, it was it used to be authentic. Since the beginning of, the, of last year, new uh, groupings emerged, such as the uh, far left that wants to uh, split off again, uh, saying, well, hey, we are really left-wing and we really see these problems behind the situation that we're in. The problem that corporates never had such a huge influence on uh, life uh, in the world and life of each individual as they have today. That's the crucial point. I've seen this for years after I've, I've had this uh, row with the Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen in the courts. The power of the global companies, the global corporates have to be dissolved and we'll have to get back what they took from us. But that's something else. Juran, you couldn't continue with your, your studies. You sent an open letter to explain. Well, what happened was um, I wasn't so happy with this selection of this topic of Fridays for Future for my math uh, thesis. I uh, figured that I didn't want to spend a, hundred, a year and a half uh, looking into this. Uh, so uh, Corona started and for an ethnologist, that would of course uh, the ideal topic. It was up to date, it was extreme, um, um, strongly debated. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll look into this. Uh, what a direction it would take, I didn't know at the time, but um, I uh, uh, became uh, quite uh, alarmed when I realized how uh, censorship is um, happening here. And that uh, prompted my stopping because I thought something isn't right here. 
and then the second thing is this incredible media framing of people who had a critical were a critical voice you know uh, those buzzwords right-wing radical conspiracy theorist etc etc and i thought to myself well is that right i want to talk to people in person i want to find out what are their motivations why do they uh, take to the streets every weekend why okay we're back uh, we are still trying to find out what happened our internet was completely cut off uh, may have been an attack or uh, an error a defect however we're back and we can come back to the interesting question of what happened after julian stech a student from augsburg decided to change his master thesis topic and and then found that that was uh, strange as well that it uh, was infiltrated as well okay julian you have the floor okay as i said in april may 2020 i decided to look for another topic another theme and the um, by the medium framing of the critics of the corona measures, I wanted to find out what are the people, is it right what the press says, is it all right-wing uh, conspirational theorists, and I wanted to contact the critics, look into their biographies, look for their motivations, and I've had over 20 interviews, and besides this uh, research, I wanted to find out some basic knowledge about some of the topics. What's the situation abroad in other countries? What about the ICU beds? What about the PCR tests? That was one of the first issues that you had addressed in your committee work. What can it do, the test? What can't it do? And in the context of my master thesis, I sent an email to the three top doctors of the University of Mainz, the Institute for Microbiology and Hygiene, and on their homepage, <coughs> I found a document titled Nuclear Acid Amplification Techniques, Pre-Analytics, um, What the Institute Does. And it said a positive PCR test is not proof for a uh, infection because the PCR test can differentiate between reproducible and non-reproducible agents. And in that sense, a, a decolonization after the um, infect is not suitable. So I asked. Uh, the doctors whether that's the case or whether the technique has changed that document was from 2018 if something had changed over the past two years and <clears throat> I got an answer from the director doctor Dr. Med Eckhard Siegel should I read that mail yep go ahead dear Mr. Stech um, the restrictive uh, note that the positive uh, PCR test does not prove a um, population of agents. The um, differentiation between the reproducible and non-reproducible reproducible agents 
um, has not changed. And it's not going to change in the future either. Still, the PCR is a good tool to do diagnosis and the selective methods. If you read that uh, text carefully, you'll find that it will be it's usable to monitor the uh, success of a measure. The so-called primary diagnostic of a first uh, in diagnosis of an infection, this uh, restriction does not apply. In case of corona, this is analogous. The PCR test is very well suitable to diagnose viruses, but in the course of positive results, it uh, is only restricted in its use. So later on, he writes that often the quarantine instructions of the uh, authorities have been wrong, so people are sent to quarantine that are not infectious anymore, and so on and so forth, that had no symptoms. And this letter, I forwarded that to the um, city authority for health in Augsburg and asked for a statement with my university signature. And interestingly, I didn't get an answer from him, but he directly contacted my professor to ask him what uh, I come up with to send him that kind of email. And so that uh, nearly kicked my master thesis because uh, my professor called me. I was a critic of Corona measures and uh, said I should look up for a different topic. And. I could uh, kind of uh, explain it, saying that was uh, research work. I wanted to get some basic knowledge, and uh, then I could carry on with my research. Um, because I asked um, uh, how the end of my study was it, I uh, suspended it, but apparently I won't be able to carry on uh, because in September, with the introduction of the 3G rules in the universities, now we are down to 2G. Um, in end of September, I wrote a five-page uh, letter to my professor explaining my situation. I didn't even get a response, not even an acknowledgement that uh, my letter was received at all. So, <clears throat> democracy sounds different uh, so does um, freedom of speech but that's a reflection of society julian thank you for um, explaining that to us and sorry about this interruption but i think things got across what i found the most interesting thing was your observation uh, from your master's thesis um, the one you started uh, and the bachelor thesis that you uh, didn't um, the master thesis that you didn't finish sorry this distinction between genuine resistance back then and the genuine rebellion back then and the controlled one now, uh, embarrassing, really embarrassing for these people, but everything uh, will come out. Julian, thank you very much. That was really interesting, super interesting. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. All the best. We'll stay in contact. Stay Absolutely, in we will. Okay, Have a nice you. time. Okay, now we come on to Leonard Winkler. Leonard Winkler from Switzerland, uh, the uh, University of Fribourg. Right. 
clinical psychologist, maybe you could uh, share what has happened. Right. Um, I'm no longer with the university, so I um, ended, I uh, concluded my uh, studies. I'm, um, I am a psychologist, now I uh, managed to uh, finish my uh, studies and I'd like to get back before I really get started uh, to what I just heard. I um, also looked into the uh, resistance uh, movement of the 1960s um, and I came up with the conclusion that the hippie culture is um, artificial installed by uh, the CIA and we have to make a distinction between the hippie movement and the anti-war movement which was genuine and the hippie bands don't come from uh, California from San Francisco, um, but from um, a place where there's a uh, shady um, military installation and um, sound studio, and all those hippie uh, um, bands like the Mamas and Papas and, and all—they never uh, sang about uh, peace. They only sang about non, uh, you know, love and that sort of thing. Um, so that is an interesting uh, counterpoint that I could talk about if you want. So that may be false as well. Uh, it's important. Maybe I can give you the title. I called it Artificial Roots of the Hippie Culture. Have the uh, roots of the Hippie Culture in Laura uh, Valley been designed as a um, fake opposition um, uh, to the war um, um, rebellion? We uh, and John Lennon said we have to thank um, uh, LSD. They designed it. Uh, we have to thank the government for LSD. It's they um, nice. uh, designed it to control people and gave us freedom. It's not very nice to hear that, but it's not complete destruction. You see, there were two different directions. One is fake. The other was real. The anti-war movement was real, and the happy. I know Laurel Canyon. There's a film on Matrix on that. This is this sounds a bit spooky because indeed they're all from military families. Some of the actors as well, by the way. Yeah, became all commingled. They were the genuine hippies, and there were quotes from anti-war protesters who said, uh, "Hey, all of a sudden we were all hippies. We didn't want uh, to be hippies because that was sex, drugs, and drugs and rock and roll for them, not peace." Later on, yes, but if you take a look at the. Uh, uh, characters, Jim Morrison uh, of The Doors, a year before he became uh, uh, famous uh, with The Doors, uh, there's uh, an image with him, uh, with his father, and uh, his father was uh, the general who was responsible for this uh, Gulf of Tonkin um, uh, intervention, and they uh, did very strange things. Um, they had uh, some other uh, family had um, um, they were uh, dancing around with freaks they uh, called them and they developed this hippie style so it's all quite dubious i have to say can i add one thing just just a second let's uh, come back to julian i think he has something i just wanted to say very briefly that in my bachelor's thesis and beyond that, I did look at the German counter-movement of the 1960s, so more the uh, 68 uh, movement, less with the US-American movement. 
just to to clarify things. So it has less to do with the uh, hippies. But uh, I'd be very interested in the document uh, if you could make that available to me right now. Okay, then I'll say goodbye. Thanks. Okay, maybe I'll just uh, start off to not uh, use too much time. I uh, set up a little time frame here. I was activated. I was active in the university, outside and inside the university to get kicked out. I was arrested because I did meditation and uh, in public and in the university as well. So right from the beginning, I rejected all, I refused all measures with one single small exception, starting with the mask mandates just before the university was digitized. And I was told in the beginning it was a little bit accepted. And then next week, if I came, they would ask for the facility securities. And I said, I'll be back without a mask. The teacher was quite cool, but didn't didn't get up to that uh, digitization because then we got everything digitized. So there was a break from 10th of March onwards. And early May, 3rd of May, I wrote an email to my master uh, professor and the president of the Department of Psychology and uh, the um, president of the Psychologist Commission in the government who uh, worked there. And quite early, I wrote uh, to her that Bill Gates uh, with, is involved in the uh, vaccinations in India and Rockefeller. She was quite interested and she was rather open to all of this, saying it's good if you wake up the others who uh, are silent because of their fear and accept this. So it was all very open right until the end. Um, I sent a lot of emails in spring, summer, spreading information and was received quite positively. And then I thought in autumn semester, starting from end of September, there's going to be mass mandates and so on. And I had a petition put up um, scientifically based over many pages on the collective complaint um, in, in Switzerland against the public transport mandates. Um, I can briefly show it. Well, it doesn't seem to work. Anyway, the petition the petition was a application to stop mandates for masks for the University of Freiburg next semester. I kept it down a bit, uh, tried to uh, contact the departments. There were two who decided to share this in their WhatsApp groups, or they didn't agree. A few days later, they um, uh, drew back because the figures rose in, and then I did it more radically and said I just put posters up everywhere and uh, put up a slave with a mask and a dog wearing a, um, a, a muscle. <clears throat> and I, some people tore them down, the posters. I don't know who asked for to do that. 
at least in my department. It was very interesting, so I came back every day, put them back up. Nobody wanted to help me, although there were a couple of uh, curious people and people who were positive, <coughs> but nobody ever wanted to make themselves public. And then two weeks after launching the petition, I wrote an eight-letter, eight-page letter to the Department of Psychology. Um, over 150 people working in the area got it, and I made an appeal with over 30 questions to psychologists, moral responsibility, fear hypnosis, and so on, first semester basic studies, you know enough about social psychology to see what's going on here is very problematic. Problematic, The mechanisms that uh, are put into effect here is something that every student, first semester student knows, and it's a obligatory course. So I got some feedback, positive to part, and uh, it was uh, triggered a lot. One of the social psychologists at the University of Freiburg who had an article um, um, in the radio. I couldn't see his uh, course, unfortunately. He worked on conspirational theories and said, I can't do research. Um, if I wanted to do that, I would have had to study 10 uh, years of medicine. So I should leave that to the medicals to discuss this topic. And beyond that, if the Barrington Declaration, where 8,000 people signed it, had right, they would prevail. Because I found out that I pointed out that the few people um, in the Swiss task force with the contracts as inflex are not right. So people very much believe in the hierarchies and think that things are right. And it was back and forth. He sent some research pro mask form to me. And I came back with information. And in the end, that was the toughest stuff. He just said, shut up. I was told to shut up and read my science. Um, from the university teachers. And it carried on that two days after I've launched that letter, I collected all the email addresses and uh, put them in CC so that everybody could see who got it. Not very well received. I wanted to know everybody that everybody knew this and they had to get into discussions. That did happen. I know that from people who have better ears in the university than I. Two days afterwards, I was summoned um, to uh, the president and the secretary of the department, who was my uh, professor, a, a lady who I appreciate very much. And she made very clear it was uh, due to this call to action which is not illegal, telling me that my behavior is not tolerable as I handle the masks, and I would lose uh, the opportunity to work as a clinical psychologist because I would get criminal, and uh, which is all very speculative. And then I have some sources that I brought along. I wanted to provide information, and I made very clear that under no circumstances I would wear a mask. And then she said, uh, there has to be a disciplinary proceedings. And I asked her, okay, please go ahead. 
I'm not going to fulfill the measures. I'm going to still get into the university. And I didn't wear a mask, which was uh, tolerated because <coughs> the windows were open. And still, I was then challenged on this later. And the disciplinary proceedings were started um, in November from the directorate of the university. And it was pointed out that I am criminal. I do criminal actions because abstractly, I put a risk at people, although there were no people there except for me and a couple of people. I did my laboratory work. And beyond that, the university was empty because everything was digital. I have to admit that the only situation where I wear mask is when I do my laboratory experiments. And the reason for that being only that the students who come in, I don't know them. And if they are afraid, I would falsify my results. Uh, stress measuring under light is what I do. And uh, so that wouldn't make sense. And I don't want to uh, get the Ethic Commission to close down my studies. But beyond that, I never wore it. And then these proceedings were open, a decision was taken. I was threatened to have five levels, uh, fine, suspension and uh, exclusion from the university. And I would be punishable criminally. And um, of course, I. Um, uh, I um, complained against this with a number of reasons, medical, non-medical, juridical reasons, um, in my appeal. And at the time at the university, it was only said, based on the regulations, that for medical special reasons or non-medical reasons, the mask can be, one can be freed from the mask. And so everything can be applied. And they didn't accept all this. They all said, you've got a doctor's attest. And I had two. I blackened it, including the details of the doctors. Of course, they didn't like it. And they wouldn't accept it. And then they said, uh, they made a decision and said, Okay, I will. Uh, they will apply the discipline measures. I will be banned from school with uh, from the university without the mask, and pointed out that without mask I have been seen at the university, which is right. Um, I got a three hundred francs fine, and of course I um, walked around the university without a mask because I wanted to have this proceedings. I would have gotten my um, attest. That never happened. It was forwarded to the lawyer of the university. And since then, I haven't heard. It was in September. I pressured them. I said I wanted a decision. And uh, we're still not there. So I think they kind of trailed it off because they knew I will be completing my courses on the fourth of May before I was finished with university, which was in September. I uh, defended my master thesis um, in front of the president without problems. Before that, I held a lecture in May with a course on parent-child relationship, and the validation was a presentation, a group work. I said I'll do it on my own. 
and I had three quarters of a, a presentation masking and psychological effect of children if parents wear marks in the framework of the COVID-19 scandal. I um, reported it, put the university logo on it, showing it's legal, published it on the internet and put 80 sources um, to it on the Weimar ruling based on Hans uh, Christian Patin uh, saying that the courts have to take actions. Um, also news that you published on 2020 news. Thank you for that. I did a complete COVID debug and saying why all um, parental um, relations are criminal if they not only if they mask the children but if they wear masks because it is proven that the development of the children's is put at risk at least it's at harm there is some harm that can be seen but the uh, risk of harm is enough as you know uh, for uh, one to ten years of imprisonment and harming the children and uh, I looked at the ethical guidelines uh, showing the causes, the moral competence, and so on. Over 80 sources, more sources than most of the group works uh, came up together with. And of course, I was uh, I failed with zero points for that work. I could I was able to repeat it later. And I passed and was said, okay, there was a misunderstanding. Uh, they were, were thought about the emotional masking, um, which has a different meaning in psychology. And I only sent it in very early and she said it was off topic. Uh, so uh, complete stupidity because of the work that I put in. Um, I really looked uh, to make every word right. And um, that was a bit, <clears throat> putting oil on the fire and then in summer before I defended my master thesis the vaccination started and I was waiting for that uh, propaganda to go around that advertising if I find that I will file a criminal suit um, for um, trespassing the um, act prohibiting the advertisement for med for medical drugs and I got some of the medical people in and uh, they made claims, com filed complaints for vaccination propaganda. I picked up on Renata Holzeisen's uh, suits, um, gene therapy and shedding, all of these things. And they didn't like that very much. And end of August, I uh, filed a criminal complaint and I was furious about that. Put the pictures in with nice people on the beach, um, barbecuing, and said, "Now vaccinate to have your freedom." I was so furious. I would have gone to the police immediately. It's just a hundred yards away to um, file a criminal complaint. I, then I said, "No, I write something more detailed with the sources," and. Uh, filed a criminal complaint at that night for trespassing the um, medical law and I had two crucial points. One of um, the points in the medical 
um, Medication Act says it is um, possible to advertise it if it is directed at people who prescribe these medicines and public call, public advertising for non-prescriptive medical drugs. It is not allowed to do that for uh, medical drugs that have to be prescribed. And another article, in addition, advertising for medical drugs is not allowed for drugs that are allowed to be uh, distributed in the canton and that reflect our morality, which I uh, pointed out. And uh, then I forward this directly by registered letters to the attorney at law. And I got an answer of a non response with the reason that no, that it is rejected. There's not going to be any finding because it's not a specific drug, which is technically probably right, but um, the advertising points out the BHG and a sheet, that's the uh, federal uh, health government body, and if I go there, of course, it uh, refers to the vaccines, three of them at the time. Um, so I don't know what that is juridically, but I think it's quite something to say it's not specific, and this is why the complaint uh, doesn't withstand that. Um, I, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to throw something on their desks anyway, not expecting much result. And then on the 16th of September, I defended my master thesis, and I was ready to not get my examination for that. I'm mentally and emotionally prepared to that, prepared to do that, saying I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to walk in with a mask. I'm going to, uh, um, I offered to show my attest, but I won't send it and you can't copy it. You'll just get a blackened copy. I had shown it, I would have shown it, but not have given it to copy it. If they had insisted it on, uh, I would have gone out and said, no, under these circumstances, the exam has no validity for me that in that way, and I'd just rather not have it. And that didn't take place. Instantly, um, the um, defense was uh, planned for 1515 and arrived at 1500 hours. And at 15.15, my professor came in, I had set everything up, and there wasn't a situation that was on the aisle without a mask. And I had the impression that uh, was done deliberately because they didn't want to provoke it. They knew I would come without a mask, nobody said anything. And then in the end, they even uh, praised my critical thinking. I understood um, you're not a crazy uh, conspirationist guys, but very positive. So I thank for that. And at this point, I'd like to add, even I can't uh, mention these people, and they don't publicly say that at least from the president, I was treated very fairly. At no point in time, there was any effect on my master thesis, these legal proceedings. I never had the impression that it did. It was very professional. And I had the impression that my activity, maybe the approach was not quite right. The content um, and the subject matter was seen quite right. 
So maybe because they are psychologists, at least some of them. So I'd like to highlight this as something positive. So at the defending um, and uh, a couple of days afterwards, the certificate mandatory were made mandatory, and then the first demonstration started at the University of Freiburg and other universities. And I was extremely happy to see this because I didn't feel alone. I was uh, networked very well, Switzerland and Germany, but in my university, I was the lonely rebel. And <clears throat> with this point, when I had finished it, um, others had taken over, made the certificates mandatory. That was a red line uh, that was passed over. So that was the story. There was a couple of groups, uh, certificate-free education. And there was an interesting uh, association I'd like to finish off with mentioning, the Academy for Critical um, Research Science and a psychologist, a PhD student, did that at the time. It's not a political group. They existed before Crayorana, but they work for extra university research and uh, scientists that have problems with the university system, the third party financing and all of that that we see in the COVID crisis now, who want to get connected there can address and approach these people. Okay, that is it so far or concerning the activities at the university on my behalf. Very good, very good. I really appreciate what you did there. Great, and in the end, you were successful. That's an example, that's what people should emulate. Very good. It's the phenomena that if you clearly show there's no deal that the others tend to back off. And sometimes maybe they even see themselves represented because surely uh, with many of them, at least on a subconscious level, there is some residual doubt. And uh, I could think these things uh, are triggered that they can identify in a certain way with this and think it's quite comfortable to have uh, one rebel who voices what they uh, may feel all um, trapped under all the rubble of their souls. Um, then they help that this is self. Of course, officially they can't say it and they can't even uh, agree to it themselves, but um, they support it in this uh, kind of hidden way, yes. Well, I'd say at a certain level, I have to say, Psychologists, in principle, are relatively well-trained in statistics and research methodologies, maybe compared to other courses of studies, and they are capable of understanding epidemiological uh, issues and PCR testing, correlations, etc. And I have to say, the people that I uh, was in contact with um, at this level, um, people do understand what I'm um, um, talking about. What people don't realize um, is this fundamental level that the entire system itself is corrupt, the whole fundings uh, basis, uh, this thing with Davos and all. People can't um, 
imagine they don't know about it. And I've been uh, looking into this for uh, years, uh, even before I um, attended university. I organized an, a presentation before a Corona started on uh, um, telecommunications and 5G. I was going to uh, give a presentation and I had submitted a uh, uh, request an application that there should be Wi-Fi free zones at the university, um, which I uh, corroborated with a number of sources because Wi-Fi is uh, harmful uh, for health, and um, of course it was uh, hushed up. But many people in the university, at the university, are so much in their bubble that the fundamental things, is perspective from the meta level, they can't uh, hack it. Uh, they would have to question themselves because they have professorships um, and why uh, can uh, I do uh, can I do research on uh, conspiracy theory etc why are there uh, why is there my professorship why are there other professorships that uh, sh that should be in place why aren't they in place and that of course questions of course the entire uh, system already and, and and that would question your own situation of course I think that this finding to get out of that bubble and question the system itself that's what we need a historical background and if you don't have that if you only see the current situation you may get as far as saying uh, looking at your needs and you can go along with that but the basic idea is that you have to question your own worldview and get to the finding that it is artificial it's uh, like what mr bryce said it's an it's a staged uh, world that we live in Yes, uh, Mr. Bray helped me a lot. Uh, thank you very much. At this point, uh, he helped me a lot with his legal stuff. Um, another uh, colleague who uh, got a degree at uh, my uh, university before the whole thing started, uh, she works at a court in Freiburg. She also tried to um, impose this and she helped me. She also had good contacts to the legal service of the university because she's an ex-colleague uh, uh, of mine at university. So there's interesting what kind of links there are. We are so far behind. Uh, excuse me. Leonard, thank you very much. Uh, have a nice weekend. Yes, thank you very much. Um, thank you for all the work you did. It helped me a lot uh, for the work that I did and it was an honor to be here for us as well thank you Bernd Matzke. Bernd Matzke, we have to shorten you down a bit but you have a lot to tell us just go ahead you are a single parent with a role model you have seven children three of them minors and you have um, not uh, get uh, wrong. You are the person, the recent in person, so to say. Well, well, I'm uh, from Altenburg, and uh, I would like to uh, give uh, you their regards from a lot of people here who know me. Well, uh, I'll try to share uh, my screen. Uh, I'd like to show you this um, chair, just a second. This is the uh, decree in uh, Thuringia. 
And number two says people who um, cannot be expected to wear a mask for um, uh, physical um, uh, reasons or for some other reasons uh, need to demonstrate this. So we don't have a requirement to uh, have a, a doctor's certificate in Thuringia. That's what it's all about. Can you still hear me? Right. So it all started when last year we went to Berlin on the 1st of August uh, together with my uh, children. We went um, by train. Uh, it was a hot day, um, Freedom Day, and um, a, um, a attendant asked me, um, asked how old uh, my uh, child is. and. Uh, we never wore a mask uh, in the schools, of course, you needed a, a doctor's search, etc., etc. And I started uh, to understand something. If you uh, write, you stay. If uh, when uh, somebody calls me, I always uh, say, oh, I can't understand what you say, please uh, send a letter. I always want to have everything in writing. And uh, I, I uh, asked. Um, I don't know where I need to, uh, uh, why I need to show a certificate, and that normally uh, throws me because I don't know where to find it. And uh, the last issue now, just after the uh, fall holiday, was they wanted to kick out my uh, son uh, out of school, and I called them uh, at the secretariat, and they didn't want to come out. Uh, the police didn't want to come up, of course. And I asked, you have five minutes time. Otherwise, I'll, I'll otherwise I'll um, light my cigarette and the fire alarm will go off, and then we'll see if somebody's there. And they came out, uh, and she asked, is he so sick that he uh, uh, can't wear a mask? Uh, and he isn't, of course. And we found a solution. Let him sit in the back, uh, open the window, and this, that's the solution. So there are many individual uh, cases, the quarantine, um, and I simply will write, I uh, uh, gratifyingly uh, reject your uh, offer to quarantine. And those are uh, things that I have, um, shopping, a wager, um, certificates, and I uh, say, well, um, show me uh, an uh, ID that is the competent authority that you're with the health authority. It always works. It's a tough cookie, but to, uh, to see that the perpetrators, not in Berlin, they are those who set the fire. The uh, perpetrators are here uh, at the local authority, and I have a fo uh, leverage folder here with more than 400 uh, pages uh, evidence against the various authorities, school authority, and I uh, went to court, a local court, uh, upper local court, regional court. I went, um, um, had hearings with the uh, child protection agency. It's unbelievable what kind kind of fraud this is. What's ha coming down here? <clears throat> Well, but uh, nobody really could uh, take their stand against you. You just uh, nerfed them up 
with your own weapons, so to say, until finally they gave in and you, your children, don't have to wear masks. Is that right? Well, the um, school um, management, for instance, I uh, told this one lady, if the uh, school authority is breathing down your back, then contact them. And, and I can contact them on your behalf, and I did. And I know how they work. You, uh, If they call you, then you can't, um, you have nothing to go back on. But I immediately write a letter. I confirm the following thing we just discussed by phone. Whether it's true or not is a different question, but I document all of this. And in the other school, there was this um, uh, event in um, April where uh, my uh, child was uh, came back at 8 o'clock and he uh, wasn't even allowed in. He just came back. And this uh, conditioning of children, oh, this boy uh, doesn't have a mask and he was kicked out immediately. And I didn't get an answer from the school uh, and I um, reported them uh, to the police. Um, because they um, didn't uh, take care of the child as they should have, and the uh, public prosecutor didn't see this. I didn't get an, uh, a reply, um, and I got a uh, written response when I sent in Russian. I didn't get an uh, answer. This is what the uh, school uh, wrote to me. That was the first time, that was in April, and you can see that they didn't require an, um, a doctor's search. There's no signature, it doesn't say which child, and it says your son uh, is not allowed to go uh, to, uh, uh, to school. So that was a draft, it was in my spam folder. I can't complain against this because there's no signature. And it didn't say which child. So that's one example. Then the family court said I could have uh, um, taken this case to court and they didn't accept my uh, justification. You always uh, running against the brick wall. Um, I was at, uh, contacted by my house uh, management. What do you have in the window? Uh, because I have some posters. And I um, was ordered to take this route. Uh, and I um, turned it into Christmas lighting, basically. So that's my uh, response to that sort of nonsense. But um, this is really unacceptable in terms of data protection. Just one example. I'm in contact with this here. I'll have to take a sip of water. Turns out that the um, uh, regional authority, uh, the uh, county council, has um, contact with the school authority. You can see the uh, reference here. They really believe that it's part of uh, 
uh, data protection to uh, have the files on the parents of uh, children. And I think that's completely unacceptable. And I know when I go something, uh, someplace and I hand in documentation, when I uh, hand uh, it over to people, they just bin it. But I also, they don't know that I also send it by email and I also send it by mail. Um, I um, objected to nearly every general um, um, order. For instance, it is uh, uh, illegal to meet with uh, several people in a public space. Well, then I meet uh, with 20 people uh, at Kaufland and we go home together. Then we don't meet in the public space. Uh, or uh, you can't have uh, people in your uh, apartment. Um, um, well, this is not my apartment, I only rented. So um, that's nonsense. These people just go along with everything. And of course, uh, you confront people when they say COVID-19. And then I say, okay, I'm not a doctor, you're not a doctor. Uh, and But did they take your uh, blood? Well, then you don't have COVID-19. In the Infection Protection uh, Act says that uh, COVID-19 uh, um, patients have to be rec uh, reported to RKI. So why, um, if you're supposed to have COVID, why isn't that reported? Uh, first thing, if you if you go to um, a hospital, uh, COVID um, information sheet, I just crossed it out and I said, uh, I will accept the determination of my COVID status via a um, blood uh, uh, examination. It's uh, not an invasive uh, treatment, it's minimally uh, invasive. So. Um, that's what the doctor told me. I can't tell a, a rapist, well, or a rape victim, well, I only minimally raped. Um, that's possible. So you, we can have ultrasound, MRT, C, uh, CT, etc. We can do all these things, and then we can still have a test. And he accepted it, and that was the end of that. And I also went uh, to hospital, uh, and my uh, sister came along and uh, she wasn't allowed to enter without a mask and I said, okay, well, you can stay um, if they uh, have no uh, proof. Well, um, I'll, um, if you if you wear a scarf, you can come in. And I said, okay, once I come in, I put take it off anyway. So pretend like I uh, wore it. So the system is imploding. Why? because I just spoke with, uh, spoke with the school management. Everybody knows about the people who killed people uh, uh, on the German wall, on the Berlin wall. Uh, are you the one who kills uh, the person who's trying to cross the wall, or are you the one who, sh who fails to hit his target? No, just leave us people alone. There are teachers who don't force their children to wear masks. I don't tell you in what city, what school, I know this is going down. What really is missing is the gratefulness, and I'll try to uh, teach that to my children. Gratefulness is underestimated. Um, the churches, uh, particularly uh, church singing, um, church choirs are uh, 
uh, illegal and I say, okay, go along and hum along. Or um, if you can meet, uh, start an, uh, an, a, a club for alcohol addicts and then meet um, to, to, to treat that. <coughs> well, Mr. Muske, great, <laughs> genius, absolutely genius. Well, wow, uh, uh, glad that we have heard, heard you. Surely that is going to have a worldwide echo. That's the motivation that we need. That is real empowerment. That's extremely good. Mr. Matska, I'm heavily impressed. Uh, well, I always wrote to the attorneys or the, the courts or the family courts. As a present, farewell present, said, I want to inform you, according to the legal stipulates, I have uh, used all my rights. The day will come when you will get caught. Uh, so this is why I have all the documentation here. That is when the liabilities uh, complaints come. There is uh, no files in the authorities. There's no files on the guarantees. Okay. Um, I always get it. I know that I ignore it. And uh, the health uh, authority staff do what I said. They don't support it anymore. I said I should um, uh, file a suit against my, myself. Um, uh, can I get this uh, tested? And they say, oh, I'm not interested. So, Mr. Matske, the documentation is extremely important. I haven't discussed this with Viviana yet. Viviana, we have, I don't know if I sent you, we've got a very good idea here. That is something that we should do. We should do this documentation so that everyone has all these bad stuff that they have gone through, they can file that and report it. That's going to be done worldwide. We'll start in Germany, we'll roll that out worldwide. Wilfried Schmidt is involved in this. So your documentation will bear fruit, and the people who did it will see we will get them. Mr. Matske, we are behind our schedule. Um, not the unvaccinated people, uh, but the people who are uh, recovered are the um, are the enemy here. And um, I'll send you the two f folders. Maybe you'll take it, especially for the international tribunal. Great, thank you. Great, thank you very much. So, uh, resilience helps and resistance help, creative fantasy, where to start, what to do, and uh, that is it's getting a bit of uh, uh, an interesting uh, fight. It can be fun, although it's very tiring, but if you get your little victories, it helps you to take the next step. That's great. Okay, now we have Dr. Augusto Zimmermann. He is from Australia. And Dr. Zimmerman, since he's done. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be attending this event. Okay, fantastic. Could you maybe introduce yourself to us? Yes, uh, I'm a professor of law at uh, uh, originally Murdoch University. I was associated dean for research for more than 10 years. Uh, the head of the unit constitutional law, I was the unit coordinator for constitutional law and also for legal theory. And now 
I am working in a new university that's being created. Uh, it's called Sheridan Institute of Higher Education. And we are uh, at the process now of establishing a law school. I was for five years law reform commissioner with the Law Reform Commission of Western Australia from 2012 to 2017, amongst other uh, activities that I have exercised here. Okay, and you have, you're going to tell us about the situation in Australia, which we have learned from other uh, countrymen of yours is very dire. However, there's still hope and there's lots of people who are rising up in the meantime. You're also going to tell us about, um, well, you, you uh, um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Um, the elite's death wish. I find that very intriguing. What is this about? Well, look, perhaps I should start then with the elite's death wish. This is indeed an mm -hmm. article that I have published in The Spectator Australia a couple of months ago. And it was to explain uh, the, um, uh, I would say, even old connections between uh, some uh, uh, members of the American establishment and the Chinese government. I found out, for instance, that uh, uh, the head of the Chase Manhattan Bank uh, was actually connected with Mao Zedong. And in 1972, wrote uh, a very interesting article, uh, and scary, by the way, in the New York Times, uh, praising Mao Zedong when he had uh, uh, just uh, uh, executed about 40 million of his own citizens. Then uh, in this article, we explained some of the um, uh, background behind uh, the idea of population reduction and control. There was an event in the 1990s organized by the Texas Academy of Science in 1992, if I'm not wrong. And one of the professors there, a professor of biology from the University of Texas, actually stated that uh, in order to uh, solve the problem of overpopulation and protect the environment, it would be necessary for uh, a disease to be spread, a virus to be created that could potentially decimate 90% of the population. And um, as far as I know, uh, according to the accounts that have been provided, uh, his uh, speech was actually well received by many. And that uh, it's, uh, uh, makes it even more scary. And now we know very clear, uh, it's a, a, a matter of fact now, that um, the Wuhan virus was um, partially at least sponsored by American taxpayers via that uh, Anthony Fauci's organization. So we start to feel that this might be just a coincidence, but it, um, it's certainly something that leads to food, to food for thought. We have, um, Professor Zimmerman, we have uh, learned from one of the investigative journalists whom we interviewed, a guy from Sweden, Ole Damegard mm -hmm. is his name. Uh, we have learned that the original idea, we couldn't verify this, but uh, he's, he's, he's a very well-known and thorough investigator. The original idea was to create this virus and make it so dangerous that it would initially um, uh, kill off millions or even billions. But for some reason, that plan didn't go through. And that's why they yeah. needed to create this PCR test pandemic um, in order to scare people up and in order to get them then vaccinated so that the virus which wasn't there or which wasn't 
dangerous enough would then be injected into the people so that finally they would have the pandemic. Do you think there's any truth to this? Well, look, this is um, a very interesting uh, possibility. I'm not so sure whether this is the case, but what I can say is that the virus is very mild and certainly uh, something that uh, it shouldn't be a matter of concern for people below the age of 60 unless they have some uh, mobility. But um, what is happening here is that some of these um, uh, people, including uh, the population of this country where I live, are being forced by the government to take the vaccine. And we know very clearly that the virus is not uh, as deadly as it was um, uh, expected to be. Uh, the mortality rate is very low, but they are now at, in the process of uh, forcing even children uh, to get this vaccine. So the vaccine, as you know, is only experimental. I have the impression that the idea of having the vaccine imposed upon the population uh, was envisaged from the very beginning. Because you see, the, the virus is quite mild. But what's happening here is that regardless of the uh, potential uh, uh, lethality of the virus, everybody here in Australia, for instance, is being instigated, uh, even coerced, I would say, by both federal government and state governments in Australia to uh, get vaccinated. So this makes me highly suspicious that there is something uh, not being well explained, especially when you know very well, and I'm pretty sure that uh, those who are listening to us know it very well, that um, uh, not so many, uh, especially teenagers and children, will be severely affected by the virus. So I just wonder then why the government is imposing vaccination even on children in Australia, even when the parents oppose such actions. So the children are being forced to vaccination even when the parents oppose such a measure. You mean... They go, how does that work? Are they physically forced or or is do they get fined, the parents, if they don't agree? How does it work? Well, it's very interesting because you send your kids to the school and the school claims that they are taking the kids for a tour. And it's not really a tour. They are bused into these facilities when they are actually vaccinated. And there is one particular case of a parent of a parent who had uh, his suspicions that this would be the case and made it very clear, explicitly expressed in words in a letter to the school that the child should not get vaccinated. But what happened is that the child being of the age of 12 years was um, told by the principal of the school that he could overcome at, or overrule, better saying, the decision made by the parent by signing another authorization. And that's why led to this child to get the vaccine. So parental rights and the right of the parents to basically make a decision on these matters have been basically disregarded by the Australian authorities. But that is complete lawlessness. Yeah, it's lawlessness. Absolutely. And we know very well the potential uh, side effects of the vaccine 
And it is, it makes absolutely no sense to impose such experiment on children when you know that the vaccine has collateral effects that can be more detrimental to a child than the virus it, itself. So, but let me ask you, so at the moment, they're kind of like luring people uh, into like getting the vaccine, like the children or like putting social pressure on them. But so far, it's not yet that they come to your house and really, you know, grab you and put the, the needle in your arm. Why has that happened also? They could. Of course they could, because we are under emergency powers. So in theory, every single state government in Western Australia under emergency power, certainly here in Western Australia, Victoria and other jurisdictions, can have uh, this sort of uh, effect, these laws, including the, the visitation of police officers without a warrant and the imposition of these measures, including forced vaccination on those who are reluctant. So it, it is totally possible. With the use of emergency powers, we have a situation that's quite uh, distressful to many people because they are not really protected under the Constitution and fundamental rights and freedoms. These, these freedoms can be basically ignored by governments under the excuse that uh, in order to face this uh, deadly virus, the government can basically disregard the fundamental legal provisions that uh, we find in, in very important documents. So this is uh, uh, the use of emergency powers taken to ex extreme. And it reminds uh, me very clearly what happened in the 1930s in a certain country, because we are facing a very similar reality here of the government having these extraordinary powers to do basically whatever they, they wish with the citizen. I live in Western Australia, and I consider myself a person who lives in a comfortable concentration camp because I am not allowed to leave even the state anymore, not even to cross the interstate borders, which is in total violation of Section 92 of the Australian Constitution, which establishes that the citizens will, should have the right to cross the borders. But the borders are closed for Western Australians now we are approaching Christmas and they have just renewed the emergency powers so that so many there will be many families that will be actually not able to be united over the Christmas period because the, some of the relatives are not living in the state and they'll be forbidden to cross the borders. And how do they enforce the not crossing the border obligation? Do they, uh, are really streets locked off? Or is it just, or, I mean, not just, but is it that if they catch you, you get a fine or go to prison? Yeah, they, they can do all sorts of things, including prohibiting, indeed, the person, even from crossing the border, although this individual might very well be a citizen of Western Australia. And if he manages to do so, uh, which is not necessarily guaranteed, you have to stay in a facility, perhaps a hotel, for about 40, 14 days, and it's not assured that after this will be necessarily released. So we have this problem here of the government basically making it impossible for people to actually cross the border in Western Australia, even if they have a second job in another state. And the problem now is that he's promising that if everybody gets the vaccine, that would be around 90% of the population, then he would open the border. But uh, of course, we know very well that now the person will have to get the booster. Uh, 
and there will be many boosters ahead. So there is not a, a guarantee that even if the person gets the first vaccine, that he will be able to cross the borders. This is very, very frightening. Um, what do you make of the fact that the most pressure in this lockstep approach, which is uh, a worldwide kind of thing that's going on, what do you make of the fact that the most pressure is being applied on those countries that belong to the Commonwealth, Australia, Canada, and the United Kingdom? What, uh, what do you think is causing this? Yeah, this is a very good question. Uh, I would be more comfortable to explain uh, the Australian reality. But what I have to say from the outset is that many of my fellow citizens have just lost their jobs because the government is starting to mandate vaccines. So for some pro professions and their idea is that potentially every single person who happens to have an employment in Australia will necessarily be forced or coerced into uh, get this experimental jab. So that is one of the things that um, I have been even writing articles about. But my, uh, to answer more properly your question, what leads to this situation, Australians have always believed that the government is a sort of benevolent protector of society because we didn't have, as we had in Germany, a very terrible oppressive government that potentially can lead to mass murder. Uh, what's happening in Australia is that we have um, a sort of uh, idea that the government ultimately seeks the well-being of the community. We didn't have to fight against tyranny in the past. We had somehow the rule of law relatively working until quite recently. And when I came to Australia 22 years ago, I was impressed with the fact that Australians are very complacent and they actually believe in whatever the government tells them to do. Uh, it's a very law-abiding society, and they tend, Australians, to take things very easygoing, as they say. So it's the idea that the government will ultimately be working for the well-being and the benefit of the society. And that leads also to the possibility of a sort of uh, overconfidence in the authorities. It's the idea that the politicians indeed necessarily will always look for us and you take care of the society. I would even speculate, and I might even write an article about this, whether this is not an intended consequence of the welfare state, the idea that the government is always the ultimate benevolent provider for the society. Everybody assumes that whatever government does is necessary for the well-being of the community. And I think this is one of the problems. Professor Zimmerman, I do I agree with you um, because this is what we heard from the uh, from members of the European Parliament who gave two press conferences, and these members of the European Parliament are from most of them from Eastern European countries, and they told mm -hmm. us when we asked how is it that your people understand what's going on, refuse to get vaccinated, while the Western world, in particular the West Europe, Western Europe, is complacent and compliant. Yeah. And they said, well, it's an easy, there's an easy explanation for this, because 
Here in our Eastern European countries, the, well, the, the uh, memory of fascism, of totalitarianism is only one generation away. It happened only yeah. one generation ago. So we have it fresh in our minds what this is like. And you don't, because in Germany in particular, it's three generations away and you have forgotten all yeah. about it. That's why you trust your government when in reality you can't, no one can trust our, uh, our governments anymore because they're not our governments. We voted yeah. for them or some of us did, I didn't, but they were presented to us by the people who are running the World Economic Forum. They're most of them graduates uh, of the uh, Young Global Leaders Program, but that is why they understand and we don't. And in your case, in Australia's case, it's probably even worse because they were conditioned over probably decades, probably more than just a few decades, they were conditioned to believe that their government would take care of them and would have their best interests in mind, a benevolent Absolutely. government, which in reality, if you take down the mask, you see the eagle face, uh, the, the evil face that is behind it. Absolutely. And the, the interesting thing is that some of the parliaments here very clearly are not forcing vaccination upon certain elements of the ruling classes, including the politicians themselves. There is no mandate imposed upon members of parliament, for instance. Mm -hmm. But some categories of uh, citizens uh, who work in certain professions are now being coerced into vaccination, and including my friends in the police force, the good police officers who are now losing their jobs in Western Australia. One interesting uh, thing about the use of emergency powers is that it has allowed the Premier of Victoria to invade uh, properties, uh, storm houses, and arrest even pregnant, a pregnant woman in front of her children without no reason whatsoever apart from her posting uh, a message on her Facebook supporting a rally that would take place in a different city. So it's amazing that now we have people now being arrested for protesting against arbitrary measures and trying to uphold the rule of law even, because the government is clearly acting in a rather arbitrary fashion and undermining the process that is very important doctrine of separation of powers. We now no longer have a proper separation of powers in Australia due to the fact that the decisions are normally made by the executive. And most of these decisions are not even made by elected representatives of the people. They're made by chief health advisors without any sort of accountability and trans transparency whatsoever. So the whole tradition of checks and balances and separation of powers are being entirely destroyed in this country. And to make it even more amazing, now that the premier of Victoria is claiming that he prefers to rule without having to renew the emergency powers. So he is now passing legislation in Parliament that will make him not, no longer needing even to renew the emergency powers, which is quite amazing because not even the dictator of Germany in the 1930s had such a courage because he renewed the Enabling Act every four years. And here, this guy wants to just not have to bother about renewing the emergency powers. And he's acting as a total and complete dictator. And to make it even worse, some premiers are emulating him. And the premier of Western Australia has just uh, initiated legislative reforms. And he has passed now 
an important act that makes him to take over the upper house in Western Australia so that not even the upper house will be able to restrain the actions of the government. So we are really, really in the process of no longer having a normal functional democracy, and perhaps not, we are never going to have it again unless people decided to lawfully resist these instances of oppression and tyranny that are taking place in Australia. Is that what's happening now? Is is it Has it come to the point that so many red lines have been crossed that even the most peaceful and the most gullible, <laughs> let me put it that way, person is beginning to realize if they don't rise up, they're going to they're gonna die? Is that an understanding? They are that actually finally... starting to. Yeah. Uh -huh. Tomorrow we are going to have a very important rally, um, a nation, nationwide rally, and uh, I'm very honored to be one of the speakers uh, at the city of Perth. And last time we held a similar rally, we managed to have more than 60,000 concerned citizens. I expect that you might have more this time because so many people now have lost their jobs. They are not now unemployed because they have not caved in uh, the, the demands of the government for them to be the subject of this experimental vaccine. So we now have people in a position that they are basically not having anything to lose anymore. And when I go to my house, because I live just two blocks away from my workplace, I cross a sea of people who are now living on the streets. So I have never had this experience this in my whole life of having to actually cross the streets where there are plenty of people now living as homeless people uh, in, on the streets of Perth. So the, the misery is increasing remarkably. And also, of course, uh, all these things lead to the increase of divorce and mental illnesses uh, because it causes desperation. And people who are desperate, they tend to do silly things because they have nothing to lose. So what I'm trying to do is to instruct the crowds to uphold the rule of law, to basically fight for the rights and freedoms in a proper manner, because it is the government itself that is acting in a way that's tyrannical and in violation of fundamental principles of the constitution of this country, and as a result, inevitably violating basic elements for the realization of the rule of law in our society. I think it's very, very important that we get this detailed report from Australia because since we see this lockstep approach all around the world, we can see what's what's in it, you know, what, what the future holds for us if we continue, let it continue down that road that that's already, you know, been long walked on in, in Australia. I was wondering, is, is there any... Um, like, are you in contact with people from the police force or the military? I mean, do you have whistleblowers from there? Like, what what the yeah. the, the situation, the you know, the atmosphere in the in these forces is? Is there resistance? Yeah, it, 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 it is an amazing thing what's happening. The police commissioner in Western Australia, his name is Chris Dawson. He has been now appointed the vaccine commander. Uh, but for me, this word is pretty scary because that is as if he is declaring war. The government is declaring war on the people because you don't have a commander in peace in times of peace. So the word commander, it's a very bad sign that they are actually forcing this sort of measures on the people. 
and they have dismissed uh, hundreds, countless of good coppers, uh, we say coppers, police officers here in Western Australia, because they have not caved in and they decided to not uh, be subject to the experiment. As a result, they lost their jobs. I was able to uh, help them because I have many friends uh, who are legal practitioners. I'm a law academic, I'm not a legal practitioner, but I have many friends who are, and I have uh, introduced one of my friends in the police force who lost his job, and now he's being uh, devised by one of the best lawyers here in Western Australia, and we are initiating a, a law action, a class action against the government to see if he can have his job returned. But I think it's important to make this point. Some of the judicial rulings in this country have been quite disgraceful. And one thing we don't have in Australia is appointment of judges that are appointed with total independence from political pressure and influence. Because judges in Australia are invariably appointed by politicians. Uh, it's the problem because I see that being a result, causing uh, this undesirable thing of judges not necessarily upholding the law as it should be upheld. And um, I'm starting to be really concerned that some of these rulings are not necessarily going to lead to a necessarily good outcome. Um, out of the many important things that you told us, uh, one thing, um, I want to harken back to, and that is your initial, in your introduction, you said that David Rockefeller was an admirer of Mao Zedong, um, and uh, yeah. who at that time exterminated 60 million uh, Chinese, his own countrymen. And Rockefeller yeah. published uh, or wrote an article in the New York Times praising this yeah. man for killing people. What is this about? Does What does this tell us? Is there an alliance between the, let's say, Anglo-American elite and the Chinese leadership? Is that what explains why they are dividing the spoils amongst themselves? We know that the Amer American platforms are going to, are trying to take over uh, the uh, German, much of the German uh, economy, as far as retail is concerned, for example, that's Amazon, of course. But we also know through whistleblowers that the Chinese are taking over our automobile industry. Is this really yeah. an alliance that we can see here? Well, it, it looks like, and um, it's quite um, suspicious because you know that the previous statements have been very much in favor of somehow a sort of population reduction and control. Uh, as um, a former law reform commissioner, I used to interact with members of parliament quite often. And I can tell you that I have learned to not have any confidence in their behavior because they treat the people of Australia in particular with utter disregard. And I would say that perhaps that's the same approach that the elites in America take in regards to the American people. So they see that um, we have a problem and the problem has to be solved, namely the protection, the necessary protection of the environment. And they would be willing to take very radical measures. These discussions about the necessity to reduce the population by 90%, I witnessed that when I was the senior vice president of the Liberal Party, in my division. So I was the senior vice president of the Liberal Party, which is now in power at the federal level, 
when I was uh, in my division of Fremantle. And I could witness the discussions of the elites always very much in contempt of what the people or, or the average citizen uh, had to expect or expected of government, but at the same time, uh, believing that uh, it would be a necessary thing to take some measures that could potentially be quite radical, but to control the growth of, of, of the population in Australia in order to protect uh, the environment of the country. So the whole idea about the environmental need, uh, the, the need of protecting the environment and the reduction of the population is a link that uh, I have witnessed in my own conversations with the political class in this country. So is, do you expect this to be the next big thing after Corona? They're going to switch over to uh, in, uh, climate uh, control or uh, uh, global warming, and they're going to use that as an excuse for the next, um, well, measures that will curb or ultimately, of course, destroy democracy because they pretend that it is important for the people to to be controlled by the government so that the so that the uh, that the environment isn't uh, destroyed it's so yeah. it's so insane i mean it's it's so obvious that these people are complete idiots yeah yeah and and uh, we we started to think whether they were really uh, upset with the fact that uh, people have made decisions quite recently that are not um, supported by them including in uh, the UK, the idea of the Brexit, in, in the United States, the election of Trump. So they are actually very upset with the average citizen. And the, what I believe is that democracy is no longer something that they really have a commitment to protect. What we are witnessing, including in Australia and certainly in European countries and in the United States, is the rise of the illiberal elites. So these are elites who have no commitment to the protection of individual rights and freedoms, even because they believe that the people are actually causing environmental damage, that we have a problem of overpopulation that must be uh, controlled. So this is the death wish that I mentioned in my article, this whole idea that these people have no love, no compassion for the average citizen. They actually want to declare war on them. They are unhappy with the fact that they don't have convinced them to push the measures to go further and, and have the measures that they were uh, trying to implement by democratic normal means. And another thing they try to do very clearly is to impose their uh, decisions via uh, judicial activism as well, because some decisions that you see in many jurisdictions, and I would even include Australians, are very strange to say the least because they contradict not only the original intent of the constitutional drafter, but they also contradict previous decisions of the court that have indeed had indeed in the past a commitment to protect these fundamental rights and freedoms. I can refer, for instance, to the decision of the first chief justice of the Australian High Court, Sir Samuel Grift. In Herbert Parker in 1907, he made the point that the judicial, judicial function in Australia must be exercise, exercised in terms of protecting individual rights to freedom, to property and to life. And we are not seeing this happening at all. Our tradition in the common law is that everybody is free until the law 
decides otherwise, but the government is subject to legality, even because the constitution is very clear that the powers given to the Commonwealth are explicitly mentioned in the constitution under sections 51. And the remaining ones are to be subject to certain principles and rules that must be always respected. And this is not what's, what's happening at this present moment, unfortunately. Well, we're seeing the same thing in Germany, uh, Professor Zimmerman. You may have heard about this. They installed one of their puppets at the very top of the constitutional law, which is supposedly the highest court here. And they're uh, deliberately and quite obviously demol demolishing what is what is left of democracy. It's already in a, in, a, in a shambles, but they're trying to completely get rid of it. However, here in this country, many people are rising up, many people are waking up, and that, of course, may explain why the other side is sort of running amok right now. Is that yeah. happening in Australia too? Uh, that's I, I asked you this before, and you mentioned that you, you've never seen all these homeless uh, people on the streets. Is that what's what's driving them to uh, finally rise up? Because ultimately, what we're dealing with here—you're calling this a death wish—what we're dealing with is our governments are our governments, yeah. which are not our governments, are literally trying to kill us. Do they yeah. understand this? <laughs> Absolutely, and, and that's why they are not playing by, by, by the rules. And they are completely mm -hmm. and utterly ignored, ignoring the rule of law. And they are acting act in a way that's in total violation of our traditions in, in, in the West. So the whole idea about governments being used for the purposes of, of serving the community and the law ultimately aspiring the realization of the common good is completely ignored. And it reminds me of the behavior of the legal profession in Germany in the 1930s. I actually have written an article to explain that they were disarmed by what we could regard as narrow legal positivism. That is a total disregard for the, natural, the idea of natural law and the idea of constitutional government. So this use of emergency powers can justify governments to do whatever they want, including sending people to concentration camps including eventually killing people and forcing people to get these many boosters that would out, will ultimately achieve the same result, that is to destroy the, the lives of, of countless people and potentially, as we expect, even uh, these measures leading to genocide. And uh, one practical question, point, I believe. One, one practical question, like, uh, you know, with all these like homeless on the streets now and like, you know, no hope and, and all this like police aggression or like, you know, these these uh, extreme measures. Do you see, um, is this like pushing toward like having a, a proper, um, you know, like a civil war going on and then they can come in with like even more uh, military or police brutality and, and kind of uh, make yeah, well, Hayek, Hayek, in his uh, book, Law, Legislation and Liberty, published in the 1970s, made this point very clearly that um, emergency powers, they tend to initially, uh, the allegation being that they are temporary. But over the time, uh, governments tend to appreciate the fact that they have accumulated so much power and control over society. And the natural tendency of emergency powers is to become permanent measures. And they are never returned to the citizens, the, the rights and freedoms that have been taken away as a result. Uh, 
We know very well that the Enabling Act in the 1930s in Germany led to a renewal of this emergency uh, Enabling Act every 40 years until uh, the, the Enabling Act uh, was repealed by the Allies when they invaded the country in 1945. So my expectation is that once the emergency powers are put in place, these measures tend to become permanent. And the only way you'll be able to restore the rule of law and the protection, legal protection, freedom rights and freedoms is by uh, the population becoming conscious that, conscientious that they are now under an oppressive regime and that they will have to indeed exercise their lawful right to resist tyranny. And uh, Professor Moyes and I are now about to publish a book which will contain two chapters that are quite important. One is lessons from the totalitarian past, and the other chapter is going to be entitled On Civil Disobedience, where you're going to provide all the elements necessary for a lawful right to resist. We have in our constitution um, section 20.4, and it explicitly states that the people have a right to resist if the uh, democratic system is in danger of being destroyed. We, even according to the um, um, assessment of one of our most important um, uh, professors of law in this country, is his name is Martin Schwab, but there's another one, Dieter Murski, uh, even in their view, this red line has been crossed quite a few months ago, um, but it is important ultimately, and I think we all agree on this, Professor Zimmerman, it's important for the people to really exercise their lawful rights to resist. Lawful is the yeah. word, is the catchword here. It has to be lawful. Absolutely. We have to resist yeah. this tyranny, but we cannot give them an excuse to uh, push down even harder on us. Uh, as uh, Viviana just mentioned, uh, because that's probably just what they're waiting for. What they do yeah. not understand, uh, as you mentioned earlier, they don't understand anything about empathy and compassion and, and emotions. So that's why they don't understand how us, the resistance, will always come up with new ideas. But we're, we must keep in mind that we shall not, uh, we, we, we must avoid um, brutality and violence, of course. Yeah, and that reminds me of Gustav Hadbrook, uh, who was the, the Minister of Justice under the Weimar regime, when he very clearly yeah. uh, realized that his legal positivism had uh, enabled, um, uh, not allowed him, better say, to create a proper jurisprudential approach that could help the legal profession to resist the arbitrary measures of that government of the day. So what happens in Australia, and I can tell you, is that we have been contaminated as a result, perhaps, of the very poor level of legal training and education in this country to be legal positivists by default. What I call legal positivism by default is because most of the lawyers in this country are just legal practitioners. They do not understand the legal history and they have a zero knowledge of jurisprudence. If they did have, they would be able to uphold the natural law, or at least, just, and I'm not even asking so much now, to understand what the rule of law actually means. The same uh, term that uh, in, in, in Germany uh, has a different uh, 
or similar approach i don't know it's called the hash start so i think what you need to to basically recover now is our own legal traditions the idea that the government has to hold certain principles that ultimately are protective of individual rights and freedoms and you need to have this in combination of a proper system of checks and balances and of separation of powers. None of these things are taking place in this country, and the judiciary in Australia is allowing a takeover of legislative role of functions by the, by the executive. So we now have a dictatorship of a bunch of politicians who control their cabinet. And the cabinet makes all the decisions, in particular, of course, the person of the premier. So it's no longer a normal parliamentary system anymore. And uh, most of the decisions and rules are now not made by the parliament under the parliamentary process. But they are rather made in a rather arbitrary fashion by even unelected people, but under the control of the premier and a small uh, uh, number of politicians that control the, the cabinet. Legal positivism is, of course, the enemy of real law. Um, you know, that's probably one of the most important results of the Nuremberg trials, because they did not, they should have, if they had uh, ad adhered to legal positivism, they should have listened to the um, excuses that the perpetrators gave for what they did. We followed orders, but exactly. they didn't. Because yeah. natural law says we all have an innate understanding of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And if someone tells you to kill a girl, a child, then you must know that you must not follow this order. So that's what we're exactly. going to have to come back with. And, and I think yeah. we're on the right track because they are forcing us. They are forcing yeah. us now to form our own judiciary. And we will. We are in the process of doing this. Wonderful. And what I have to say is that this is the, the best that our tradition can offer. Because you know that St. Thomas Aquinas made the point very clearly that a law that's not just is not law at all. It's a defective law. You can perhaps have an alarm clock and call that such a thing, but if it doesn't work, doesn't exercise its proper function, is we can have a car that that's a, you call a car, but if it doesn't work, it's not exercising its proper function. So what happens is that as a result of this approach, St. Augustine in the City of God made the point very clear that what distinguishes a proper government from a bunch, a bunch of criminal thugs is the fact that the law serves the common good. Otherwise, there is no distinction whatsoever between a criminal gang and the normal government. <laughs> So the government and the rules that the government creates are necessarily uh, aiming, if the government has legitimacy, the achievement of the common good. And as you put it quite well, during the Nuremberg trial, these um, terrible people alleged that they were just following orders. And that argument failed miserably. And they were tried and judged and condemned under the principles of a higher law jurisprudence. And I believe that's what is going to happen again. I have faith that we are going to prevail and that these people will be brought to judgment for the crimes they have committed. 
Absolutely. Yes. That's what we're working on. And very, very, very shortly, we will start with such an international effort. Okay. Wonderful. Professor Zimmerman, this was a real pleasure. I'm impressed and um, I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. God bless you and keep up the good work. I, I'm a great admirer of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so, Thank you so much. much. Thank you so much. And Thank have you. a great weekend. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Viviana, you wow. take over. Okay. Now we should have um, Dr. Um, Graham Lyons in the line. Lyons. Is, are you there? Dr. Lyons, he should be there. It's I can see him, but he's muted right now, and I can't see. It's, I can't see. Uh, ah, oh, yeah, okay, perfect. perfect. We can hear you. Yes. So you're also in Australia. That's better. Okay. Ah, perfect. Now we can see is you. The, is the lighting okay? Yes. Uh, I, I hope it's not too late for you. I know it's late at night in Australia right now, at, at where uh, you are, I mean. 12 minutes past midnight, uh, Rainer, but that doesn't oh. worry me. I've, been, I've got used to uh, having very full days lately. It's been quite hectic uh, and will be so for a few more days. Uh, may I say it's a great honour and privilege uh, for me to be uh, joining your committee, uh, like Professor Zimmerman, Zimmerman, I'm a great admirer of your work, and uh, this is one of the greatest privileges I've ever had. I can't believe this, because we are privileged to be able to talk to you. You know, we all know it's only the connection of the good people, of those who are on the right side, that'll make this thing uh, go away. Um, and I think we're close to a very, very crucial point. I think we're very close to a tipping point. Well, thank you for including me in that subset of uh, humanity. Uh, um, it, it, as I say, great privilege for me. Thank you. Um, so, Dr. Lyons, you, you are an yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead yeah. No, I can. What, so, I'm you're sorry. an agricultural sorry, um, scientist at the University of Adelaide, and you hold a PhD in the field of micronutrients. And you have, um, I, I understood that you have been very active in the Australian resistance. So, could you maybe give us an overview of, of what you've been through lately, or what the situation is in your view? Oh, thank you. Sounds like I'm becoming even more notorious than I thought I had. Uh, I probably won't be associated with the University of Adelaide for very much longer, I should imagine. Uh, in fact, I'm quite surprised that I'm still uh, uh, allowed to have an office at uh, the campus to which I belong. And um, because I've actually been speaking uh, quite uh, publicly since early this year, and in fact, sending out literature far and wide since uh, about April of last year. So, uh, but I've stepped it up recently and um, will continue to do so. Um, so, yes, I'm glad to see that some of my resistance has been recognised. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, well, as Professor Zimmerman noted, there is still widespread um, lack of. Uh, appreciation of the parlous situation in which we are in uh, among our population here. And in fact, plenty of people out there who oppose sorts of things that he and I would do. 
uh, they think uh, we're cranks. And uh, it, it's uh, one of the things that's astonished me about this whole exercise, this whole episode has been the, sheer, the, the number of people who have been sucked in by this garbage, this absolute rubbish, which is, I call it the corona hoax or the corona coup. Uh, you know, even seemingly intelligent people often, in fact, often mostly those people who pride themselves on being uh, academics and highly intelligent folk, I found them to be some of the weakest of all. And uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, when I finally get kicked out of the university, it'll be like a, a badge of honour to me. Well. I can carry on in this vein. I thought you might want to send me in a different direction, but uh, I, like Professor Zimmern, hope to be speaking tomorrow at uh, uh, the Adelaide Freedom Rally. I'll, I'll probably just get five minutes and uh, I've got a couple of... Uh, I will be actually targeting doctors tomorrow. Uh, well, in fact, it's going to be today. We're into, <laughs> into Saturday already here and um, I will take on where I left off on the steps of Parliament House about a month and a half ago and uh, targeting those doctors who are still administering the, I call it the injectable purple Kool-Aid. For those who remember the Jonestown uh, event of I think November 1978, a lot of young folk of course would never even have heard of that. But uh, that was a sort of a minor death cult. We're now dealing with a global death cult. And uh, so many people I speak to still think the virus is actually real. And uh, the government's doing a good job in keeping us safe. This really, you know, you may have perceived already, I'm, I'm a rather angry person. I, I can put on a smile and bring in a bit of humour, but just below the surface, there are a lot of expletives waiting to erupt. Uh, our so-called leaders who have sold us out to the internationalists, I, call, I don't call them the elite, I call them global parasites. And uh, our so-called health officials who have taken their 30 pieces of silver from Big Pharma, and I spell that small p, capital H-A-R-M, small a, which reflects their business model. And um, so I sometimes almost get overwhelmed by disgust and anger. When that happens, I have to go running up Mount Lofty, which is the, it's not exactly a mountain in, uh, in your terms, it's a hill overlooking Adelaide where I live. And I have to put myself into a world of physical pain running up that hill and that eliminates any other feelings. And if I can do a good time going up to the summit, I feel very good coming down and, it, uh, and I get fitter. So I try and uh, make a positive out of what these uh, quizlings and quackslings, as I call them, a quacksling is a subset of a quizling. You know what a quizling is, a traitor. Uh, we are ruled by traitors at the moment. And quackslings are those, that subset of quizlings who actively promote the so-called quacks, which is, it's not a vax, I call it a quacks, which reflects the pseudoscience and quackery used to promote it. So, yes, no, look, I won't go further down that. Yes, no, you better send me in a different direction, otherwise I might blow up. I was wondering if I you will, had... But I... Um, oh. 
It's, it's a little bit more complicated when we're not together at one table, because you. Okay, um, may I Go ask? Ahead, have you have you noticed the difference, like in the amount of people who are, you know, getting uh, aware of this, the the real situation now? Is there like an awakening going on in Australia? Do you, do you, can you feel that in your, you know, the conversations that you have with people like on demonstrations or like other things? Yes, I can feel, I think like, um, I think all of us uh, know that we're going to win this. We, I, I wouldn't be fighting if I thought uh, we we're all going to end up either dead from the quacks and all its boosters or for those who survive that, end up as slaves on a digital plantation, as I think uh, Patrick Henningsen described it. Um, no, we're going to beat these evil bastards. And uh, as Professor Zimmerman said, uh, yes, I think there, it, there is something of an awakening here. It's, it's too slow for someone like me. I'm an impatient person. And I mean, I could see what was happening in March last year, not this year, Why couldn't others see that? I mean, I'm not a genius. I'm a pretty good truth-seeking scientist. That's always been my rationale. I do not follow what other professors are doing. I've always, in my 22 years scientific career, I've always done what I think would produce the best results for people at village level in terms of nutrition and, uh, and other public health benefits. Um, And so, yeah, but I, I would have liked to have seen things happen a lot quicker. We could have saved a lot of lives, a lot of anger, angst, a lot of jobs, um, not have at the middle class on its way to being destroyed. Um, but, yes, there is something happening. And when we look at the numbers who are on the streets of Melbourne about a month ago, I believe it was something like 700,000 And Melbourne is, uh, well, it's escalated in recent years. It's probably a population of maybe 5 million. So that's a mighty proportion. And, and you've got to look at then multiplying that, say, by uh, a factor, given the people who are still at home and who would have liked to have been out on the streets but couldn't be there for some reason. I would suggest that people like the traitorous Premier of Victoria um, would actually be quaking in their boots now because I think once they saw those sort of numbers, they, if they've got any modicum of intelligence or critical thinking inside their thick heads, they would have to realise that they are going to fail. And uh, he'd better be looking at an exit strategy, I can tell you. And uh, not much different for the rest of the premiers here. Uh, Professor Zimmerman described what's happened in this country. They've all taken their 30 pieces of silver. They're, uh, they're traitors to this country. And that also applies to the so-called health officials who are charlatans, they're pseudoscientists. They're, uh, they're reading scripts from Big Pharma and Gates and the WHO. And uh, I've got nothing but contempt for the whole bloody lot of them. Uh, they wouldn't know a, a, a genuine infectious disease if it leapt up and hit them in the face. Um, And these are the people that um, are making the, the rules now and telling everyone how to live and wear masks in public. Uh, I'll get on to how I resist this in a moment. I'll quite enjoy this. Um, and, yes, I, I think I've strayed from the uh, original theme that I was on. But, uh, uh, yes, we are seeing an awakening. And But 
it's it's slow. Um, it's like a slow, well, the opposite to a slow motion train wreck. We've had the, uh, oh, well, very fast motion train wreck of the corona hoax, uh, but the recovery and the awakening is too slow for my liking, but uh, it is happening. And uh, this is a numbers game and the, uh, the globalist parasites know that. And if we get enough people not complying with the... Uh, how shall I describe the COVID diktats that we get from our outfit called SA Health here? How Orwellian and ironic is that title? Um, they're, they're idiotic, unscientific, unlawful, unconstitutional and very unhealthy. Uh, things like social distancing, constant washing of hands in poisonous chemicals which will wreck your skin, wearing of face nappies, a.k.a. masks and muzzles, uh, greatly increase the risk of true infectious uh, respiratory diseases, um, even if there was a virus floating around out there waiting to pounce on us, which, of course, there isn't anyone who understands uh, germ theory versus, well, terrain theory, um, understands that you, you don't pass on living viruses on the surface of things, for goodness sake. Um, even if they did exist, they would be like wearing a section of chain mesh fence across your face, trying to keep out something the size of a, the point of a pin. So it's it's ridiculous stuff. And then, of course, the daddy of them all is is the quacks, um, the very harmful, already demonstrably very harmful across the world uh, medical intervention. Uh, supposedly experimental. I don't believe it's experimental as far as the globalist parasites are concerned. They know it's harmful. They're just experimenting on dose rates and uh, a few other what more horrible things they can put in there. Uh, they know it's harmful. Um, and uh, the this is what's uh, been dumped on us. You know, I, I was a cattle breeder before I became a... Uh, a uh, scientist and I still am a cattle breeder in a small way and I've been involved with breeding beef cattle since 1962 so I know bullshit when I see it and the <laughs> corona hoax is the greatest pile of bullshit which has ever been dumped on humanity I say that without reservation that the size of this hoax this deception is unprecedented and it's absolute bullshit. And finally, to conclude this section of my uh, my rant, uh, yes, people are gradually waking up, but bloody slowly. And I have to say that uh, in this path that I've taken, um, it, it's had a pretty pervasive effect on my life. I've lost most of my old friends, so-called friends. Um, pretty well none of my family really support me in this Um and, and I've given them my information going back a long way. I wrote a thing called 13 Reasons Not to Take the So-Called Vaccine, and I started pushing that out in early January of this year. Send it all around the world to my colleagues on Pacific Islands in China, Colombia, East Africa. Um, I've had some positive feedback from them. Um, it's had almost no effect on the... Most of the people here in Australia who I passed it on, I, I thought I was doing them a great turn, saving their lives by giving them this thing. 
most of them have taken absolutely no notice of it and gone and got quaxed. Can you believe that? Um, that they've they said, oh, no, Graham, sorry, we don't believe you. We believe the government and the health authorities and the mainstream media. We don't think you're right. And so what more can I do? Um, so I've, I've, take, I've taken that path and I will not be deviating from it because I think I'm on the right track. Um, and and uh, the, uh, what was I going to say? The, uh, yeah, no, I've forgotten, but uh, I, I won't deviate from it. And uh, the, uh, and I've made some very good new friends and in uh, who are involved in the resistance to this thing. And uh, we've started our own group here in the eastern suburbs of Adelaide. Uh, and I help arrange the, uh, uh, the rallies. That's why I'll be there tomorrow doing things. And uh, it, it's opened up a whole new new world for me. Hell, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm, I'm going to be welcome at Christmas lunch. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens there. That's going to be interesting. But um, I might be the only vaccine-free person there. I prefer not using the term unvaxxed because that uh, makes it look as if vaccination is the norm, which it most certainly is not. Um, I'm a vaccine-free person, and some people call us pure bloods. How do you like that? Uh, I quite <laughs> like that. A stud cattle breeder, I can relate to that. Um, oh, I see I've got there's a picture of our the best bull we ever bred behind me. Um, that was back in um, 1988, I think. Um, so, yes, I had quite a career of being a cattle breeder first. So I, I'm, I think I'm reasonably grounded. And one of the things that's astonished me has been the, as I mentioned before, the lack of resistance among so-called scientists. Who, at, uh, they're among the weakest buggers out there when it comes to standing up against this. And uh, the university uh, is about to bring in a quacks mandate. The, the vice chancellor has been making very, very strong um, indications that that's going to happen. I'll bet they do it before the first semester next year. Same with the other two big universities here in Adelaide. They're all work, walking in lockstep. They're all reading their scripts from the, the global parasites. And uh, But there's a uh, quite a nice little nucleus of us. We've just started in the last week, which will be resisting that. Uh, I haven't got much skin in that game, really, because I'm I'm pretty well retired from the university. I'm like a I'm called a visiting research fellow. Um, they they don't pay me anything. They just let me keep an office. But there are plenty of full time professors and um, other academics who uh, are dead against getting this poisonous quacks, and uh, they will be resisting this solidly. So we're having a meeting an hour before the uh, the Freedom Rally later today, um, just consolidating that little group, see where we go from now. Um, there are some interesting developments here. My legal advisor, I haven't touched on my misdemeanours yet, have I, um, is a, a person by the name of Stuart Lindsay. He is an ex or former federal court uh, judge, federal circuit court, and he's my uh, legal advisor. He acts still as a barrister here in Adelaide. And uh, he would be, I would suggest, the, uh, how could I describe him, the most muscular Christian soldier I have ever met. And 
I'd have to say he sent me on a, a spiritual journey. I, I was a happy atheist for 22 years at, uh, well, not always happy, but um, usually at, uh, at the university during my scientific career. In fact, I had a, a quote from the great uh, E.O. Wilson, a sort of a neo-Darwinian um, person or researcher who wrote a well-known book called Sociobiology, which he related uh, ant colonies to human behaviour. And um, this quote was, there is more, con uh, more content and grandeur in material reality discovered by science than in all religious cosmologies put together. And this was above my desk. It's still there, actually. I might tear it down now. Um, but there are, I go looking at most of those people who are of that, uh, that persuasion, shall we say, and they are not fighting at all against what we're seeing now. They're as weak as water. And uh, the best fighters I've seen have been some of these really strong Christians. And Stuart Lindsay personifies that. If, I'll, I'll tell you what I do in the way of resisting soon, but if you think I'm tough, you ought to see the way he operates. So I, I've learned a lot from people like that and um, I realise that this, this thing we are involved in is much bigger than just us. It, we can't beat these bastards on a temporal level only. We have to tap into whatever spiritual um, thing that we have, uh, connection that we have and, uh, yeah, I, I'm on a journey. I'm not completely there yet, but uh, at least... Uh, um, if I, I can say uh, what I do, the way I live my life now, um, it's informed by two main dicta or tenets. One is um, from Henry David Thoreau, disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. The obedient must be slaves. And so when I go walking through Adelaide uh, these days, I see a lot of slaves or would-be slaves um, dutifully clocking in with their smartphones. I haven't even got one of those bloody things. I see them as an instrument of our own enslavement. Um, dutifully clocking in with these QR codes, as they call them, almost lovingly, wearing their masks, even out, they've been mandated for inside buildings and what have you here. People will even wear them out on the street. And... Uh, they're, they're three quarters of the way to being slaves, I would suggest, maybe all the way there. Uh, so that's H.D. Thoreau. And the other one that really guides me is Solzhenitsyn's 1974 essay, Live Not by Lies. And uh, the corona hoax being one massive lie, I will not bow down to any of the diktats that uh, have been brought down in the name of uh, corona. So... Uh, I can at least look in the mirror at the end of each day and uh, not be ashamed of myself. Uh, but if I get a chance to talk today, I'll probably only get five minutes. I'm going to make it really short and sharp and I'll be targeting those doctors who are still giving that quacks and I'll be saying to them, when you look in the mirror at the end of the day, who do you see, a healer or a harmer? It's about time that you threw off the shackles of Big Pharma, found a backbone. Hopefully you won't need to use a magnifying glass or, God forbid, a microscope. If you're a male, perhaps you could discover a pair of cojones 
I'm going to rip into them, I can tell you, because they, uh, they must know now that what they are doing is harmful. Uh, you would have seen Dr Vernon Coleman probably two weeks ago describing the journal, the article in Circulation, which is a very well-respected journal for cardiovascular physicians et al. Um, they must know they're doing harm. And I might actually ask them to reflect on what happened to seven of their profession at Nuremberg, who I would suggest might have been doing lesser things even than uh, delivering the quacks to people. So I hope that makes some of them feel very uncomfortable because they need to stop doing what they're doing very quickly and get on the right side of history. So yes, that's probably enough for me, from me for the moment. Well, I think, I think, Graham, it's so important to finally speak out and not to try and mince words. We have to call a spade a spade. And I think this can only come from people who are grounded, like you are. I keep telling everyone uh, that those people who really know what's going on, and not just inst instinctively, but because they're well-informed, are the cab drivers who usually take me to our sessions mm -hmm. of the Corona Committee. They really know what's going on. It's not mm -hmm. the scientists. I mean, we both know that there's a new study out which says that surprisingly, it's not stupid people who are the tinfoil hats, but rather it is well-educated people. Well, I should say maybe so, but it is also very many of those people who are not educated in the, in the uh, traditional sense, but rather um, mm -hmm. get their cues from, well, being grounded, from, from being in touch with reality from not uh, following orders. This is what one of the uh, psychology professors who unfortunately died a couple of weeks ago, but we had him on our uh, session a number of times. His name is uh, uh, Georg Lindt. And he says, mm -hmm. for, a functioning for a functioning democracy, you need two things. One is the ability to ask questions rather than to follow orders. And the mm -hmm. second is the ability to engage in discussions with other people who hold, who hold other opinions rather than kill them or make them into tinfoil hats. That's all it takes. The problem is that there's only 20% of the population that has that, but it can be, it can be learned. And I think we're going to be those among those who hopefully will be able to uh, teach such, um, in, my, in my opinion, truly important stuff. I'm really glad you're so outspoken because for a long time, I, I, you know what, this is what, what is slowing the awakening down. Too many people who are talking about proportionality of these stupid measures. They mm. should go right to the core and tell it like it is. This is about them trying to kill us. If we don't wake up and stand up, that's what they're going to do. That's what it boils yeah. down to. It's very clear. It's I keep telling yeah. everyone, had somebody, told, had, had somebody told me this two years ago, I would have told them to go take their pills. But this is really, and I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm used to rational thinking. Yeah. But that's what this is about. And you're absolutely right. Spirituality is probably the most crucial, the most important aspect to all of this. 
Oh, true, yes, yeah, very. I, I think it's also important, you know, that, uh, Rainer, like what Professor um, Georg Lind also always said, you know, it's like like that you're able to, like, like the moral competence, you know, that was always his... Um, his catch yeah. uh, catch word, you know, that you must be able to um, to act according what you've realized is is right and is correct and is moral. And that is also what a lot of people don't do at this point. You know, they see what's going on, mm -hmm. but they're simply not able to say, yes, and I'm part of the problem if I continue to play along. And I don't need to be no. like, you know, a revolutionary with like running out with a stick. I should rather not do that, but I should simply just withdraw. Don't do it, you know, and find other ways to to really um, just work around, at least do that or speak out. But, you know, in a peaceful manner. But I think if a lot of people mm. would go, you know, take this, this decision to, to live according to the, the moral things that they see, things would immediately change, you know. Yes, how true. Uh, someone said we've got, it's like a, uh, a pandemic of cowardice in our Western uh, societies. That there's plenty of people I know who uh, they, they just won't do anything. I think they must know that the government's acting badly towards them and has declared war on them, but they're, they just haven't got the courage to do anything about it. They're, as Stuart Lindsay would say, they, they're not just asleep. They are pretending to be asleep. Yeah, and uh, you can't wake up someone who's pretending to be asleep and they're pretending to be asleep so that uh, they won't have to actually do something against it and step outside of their, their cohort of uh, comfortable individuals or actually run the risk of losing a little bit of income, perhaps. Uh, they, they're not even prepared to do that. And so I'm... I'm not happy at all with a lot of my fellow countrymen. I think they could have done a lot more. Some are doing a bit more. Um, yeah, the, um, you interested to hear about what happened in my court case? Uh, uh, was yeah. yesterday. Oh, hang on, two days ago now. The, uh, because I live by that, um, those tenants, I, I, it gets me into strife now and again, but I wear it as a badge of honour. Um, like, for example, oh, I won't wear those masks and I bluff my way through. I've given myself an exemption. I, I say to anyone uh, who questions me, I've actually got three conditions which preclude me from wearing those bloody face nappies. And um, because these days doctors have become so uh, enchained by Big Pharma that, uh, and by SA so-called health um, that they won't uh, usually uh, grant any exemptions for the vaccine or the so-called vaccine or for wearing face masks. Um, doctors here, I'm talking probably 95% of them, have an awful lot to answer for. And uh, the uh, so I grant myself an exemption there. And uh, the, uh, the other one, don't sign in. The government's got no right to track you, particularly using the... Uh, the false pretext of a uh, of a uh, virus or a pandemic, which isn't, um, and won't uh, do any of those things, and certainly won't be getting the vax. And uh, it, it's, uh, I said to people uh, at, outside the court the other day, uh, I won't be going to the test match this year for the first time since 1985. I'm a bit of a cricket fan. 
and the Ashes Test, so-called, between England and Australia, is on in Adelaide at the moment, four days. But uh, Adelaide Oval has now become what I call a quacks trap. It means you've got to be double vaccinated to get in the bloody gate. And then once you're in there, you've got to wear a mask all the time, even when you're sitting down watching the cricket. So I guess people won't be able to shout the way they used to in the old days. So I won't be going there, except possibly to protest outside the gate if I can get the time tomorrow. I probably won't. Uh, the zoo is the same. Can't go to the Adelaide Zoo anymore. And uh, there are certain businesses proudly proclaiming that uh, patrons will need to be double vaccinated from now. Well, they go instantly onto the boycott list of uh, the groups to which I belong. Um, so it's, uh, you know, the noose is tightening from uh, the the parasites and their lackeys, their, their quizlings and quackslings in this country. It's almost, I think uh, Professor Zimmerman suggested they're lashing out, or, or you guys might have suggested yourselves. So I think they might almost be in their death throes. They can see that they're, they've made their play to enslave the entire population, those that they don't kill, a little bit too early perhaps. Um, uh, there's, there, there is an awakening and when you look at those numbers that you can get in Berlin and I remember seeing that uh, rally where I think it was over a million strong, wasn't it, where Robert Kennedy Absolutely. Jr. was one of... Yes, we were million. there. Yeah. We were there. We know yeah, it was you were there. Yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah. And, they, <laughs> and you know, was I told this story... I, I told this story before. Um, I know of a couple... Um, a married couple who were um, she was she was in the resistance and he just couldn't believe it. He just couldn't believe mm -hmm. that the, our own government is has turned against us. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he said, "Okay, I agree. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this demonstration in Berlin. That's the one where mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy and I spoke. Yeah. And um, and he came along and he saw that it was completely peaceful. He saw mm -hmm. that it was over a million people. We know yeah. it was over a million yeah. people because we had police mm -hmm. on the ground. One of them works for us. And yeah. Um, and I was there and Viviana was there. And then he saw it is peaceful, nice people. Then mm -hmm. at night he came home, watched the news on television. They told him there were 17,000 people, all oh, of them, yeah. racist, <laughs> right-wing radicals, Nazis. Yes. And he turned to his wife and he said, you've convinced me. That <laughs> saved their marriage. They're both yeah. on the same side now yeah, and they're right. real activists. So yeah, I, I remember. Out. That's the tremendous. Truth comes out. For him. It does. Yeah. Well, that's what the about third... the court case? Yeah. What, what about your oh, court look, case? Yes. First of all, that that reminds me of the third tenet I live by: truth will come out in the end. That's what Gandhi said. He said, "Rely or have faith in the power of truth." I think satyagraha is the Indian term, and it may not uh, work for you quickly, but in the end, it will prevail, it'll come out. So, uh, yes, talking about Kennedy Jr., there's my, that's my early yeah. Christmas the real Anthony it's Fauci. Best seller. Yeah, I got it's that a, about It's a bestseller now. Yeah. yeah. Robert Kennedy is one of my great heroes. And um, I, I, to show you how, how little time I've had lately, I haven't even opened the covers of that, and I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to it, but I've been too busy. So it's going to be my Christmas New Year reading. Um, anyway, yes, my court case stems back to March of the year, 
I refused to submit to the fake uh, invasive DNA collecting PCR so-called COVID test on having flown back to Adelaide from Brisbane. We were up there helping our daughter out and my wife came back a week later and uh, the Premier of Queensland declared a, uh, a what do they call them, a snap lockdown on the very mm-hmm. evening that I flew back to Adelaide. So I was met by uh, operatives of the medical industrial complex that we have now, COVID branch, and told that I would have to self-isolate for two weeks and undergo three negative COVID tests. Well, I pretty well hit the roof there at the airport and um, just kept the expletives under the surface, but told them I was a real scientist, unlike those charlatans at SA Health, and I know this is a fraudulent test and I will not be undertaking it under any circumstances. So he went and summoned his superior, who was a policeman, told him the same thing in a loud voice so all around could hear. And he said, well, sir, you'll have to... uh, you'll have to undergo self-isolation for another 10 days, 24 days. No mention of a fine or anything. So I headed home and um, I did actually stay in there for 24 days. I was visited by 10 policemen during that time. And um, the first one tried to persuade me to again take the three tests. I said, no fear. I I told them at the airport I wouldn't. I'm telling you the same thing. And... um, then they sent me a bill for $1,000, an expiation fee. And uh, that's when I got together with Stuart Lindsay and uh, we decided that uh, I would not pay the fee. We will uh, elect to, I will elect to be prosecuted. So uh, didn't hear from them for five months. Then in, I think, early October, I got a summons to appear at the Adelaide Magistrates Court. And uh, the uh, I went along and... Uh, I, they wouldn't let me in the building because I refused to wear a mask. And uh, so, anyway, my lawyer went in. It wasn't Stuart. He doesn't wear a mask either. But it was the solicitor who went in. And I didn't actually have to be there. It was just a summons. But I, uh, there was a lot of press, actually, out on the, on the street, and uh, I was able to hold my own court there. But I was appearing at the same time as the uh, so-called appearing, at the same time as the head of Australia One. Have you heard of Australia One? It's a, it's not exactly a political party. It's headed by a, a, an ex-SAS Lieutenant Colonel called Ricardo Bosi. He's got quite a following here in Australia. He's a very strong individual, um, a tremendous person. And uh, he he was living in Sydney, or still is, and uh, he was there because he was uh, not wearing a mask at the Adelaide airport in April during my uh, the time I was incarcerated in my own home. And um, he spoke to the magistrate by phone and he, he took a common law approach, you know, that... Uh, that approach, you don't uh, accept the validity of any of our, uh, you know, mercantile or commercial admiralty-based courts, call them what you will. And uh, he ended up calling the magistrate an imbe- a traitor and an imbecile. <laughs> the magistrate ended up listening to him for a while. He said, I'm not listening to any more of this nonsense and slammed the phone down. <laughs> so his case has been adjourned to January. So I'm not really sure how how far he's going to go using that so-called common law approach. But my approach was different. I actually hired uh, 
lawyers and uh, advised by Stuart Lindsay and uh, the uh, we had the next hearing two days ago and uh, my my solicitor advised me perhaps not to try and get in the building this time just stay outside it still didn't need me inside and they just adjourned it again um, but um, we're, we're hopeful they, they might just drop the charge actually uh, the police had not answered a number of questions that we'd asked them about procedural flaws and the way they uh, dealt with me. And um, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, we're hoping they will, will drop it. But um, anyway, I, I consider all this stuff a badge of honour. doesn't worry me. Uh, mind you, it's a serious business. The, uh, the, the maximum penalty for what I did, my heinous crime, of actually protecting my bodily integrity and the Nuremberg Code is a $20,000 fine or two years in jail. How's that for medical fascism in the state of South Australia? And uh, actually, I've, I've got a name for Australia these days. I call it the, uh, the Quaxi Nation of Ozcatraz. Quaxi Nation, not, not just vaccination. Uh, there yeah, was a book yeah. by Judy Wileyman called Vaccination, you know, vaccination policy in Australia. Um, she's a great authority on, on that sort of thing here in Australia. And Ozcatraz, um, we're not allowed to leave the country. Those who are out there can't come into it. I guess you could you could get into Ozcatraz or the real uh, Alcatraz just by committing a bad crime. That was even easier than Australia. But as uh, Professor Zimmerman said, we're we're living under medical tyranny here, and uh, those of us who are resisting constantly run the risk of being arrested and stuff like that. But uh, at least I can look in the bloody mirror at the end of each day and not be ashamed of myself. Not be not be having a coward staring back at me. And, uh, I mean, you guys are the same. What you're doing is tremendous. You're a great inspiration to fighters uh, here in Australia, resistors. That reminds me, uh, one of my very good mentors is the, uh, I'm not sure in Germany if, uh, if Judge John Deed is a popular television show. Uh, it was made quite a few years ago. I've seen reruns about three times. But Judge John <laughs> Deed is a great fighter against Big Pharma, Big Telco, any of those big outfits suppressing individuals, causing death and mayhem to innocent people. And Judge John Deed always prevails. And um, the writer and producer of that show is a man called Gordon Newman. And... Um, I approached him early last year when I could see what was happening here and thought, look, I need to connect with some people who know how to fight against Big Pharma and others. And, uh, yes, I got hold of his email and uh, he lives on the Welsh border. He, I think he's probably about 80 now, but he's as sharp as ever and he's always encouraging me in this resistance and he does so himself. In fact, he's facing a, uh, some case... Uh, his wife and he and their dog were walking in a wood within several k's of their home. They might have been outside the required limits of movement at the time. He's, had to, he's having to go to court in January over that. Unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you, in the state of Victoria, here in Australia, we call it Danistan now, um, after 
Kim Jong Dan Andrews, the Premier, the most corrupt politician who has ever operated in Australia's history. He is, he is the most egregious puppet of the globalist parasites you could ever imagine. Man who should be spending the rest of his days in prison, uh, or actually um, I can think of much better penalties for him. Um, I been not say any more. Uh, but anyway, um, this, this Gordon uh, Newman just provides me with great encouragement. And one day, it's one of my greatest hopes, is that I may be able to travel back to England. I used to really like, my wife and I really enjoyed travelling to England and driving around the countryside. We had several friends there. Um, the, uh, yeah, Gordon Newman's probably the only one now. The others have dropped me. They, they think I'm a crank, I think. Um, but, yes, one of my great wishes is to be able to get back to travel. I did a lot before when, when I was particularly working in, in the area of biofortification and uh, food systems. I want to get back to the Solomon Islands where I lived for three years when I was young, working on a cattle project, and um, want to get back to England travel around by car again, love the history, and I'd like to be able to meet Gordon Newman. So they're, they're on my wish list. <laughs> but, yeah, I forgot what led me into this, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a resistor, and, uh, um, but I get no thanks for it from, uh, I'd say, most of the people who've known me throughout my life. Uh, they, they think I'm, I've gone a bit silly, I think, a lot of them. <laughs> I hope they'll well, wake up in due course. Uh, you're, anyway. you're getting thanks from us. Can you do us a favor, Graham? You mentioned Ricardo, I forget his last name, but I saw a speech that he gave. He was very, very inspirational. What's his yeah. last name again? Bosi, B-O-S-I. Ricardo Bosi. Yeah, I think he's of Italian origin. He was, uh, yeah, Lieutenant Colonel in the SAS, which is our elite Air Service of the uh, of the Army, he's got he's got a spine that guy, um, yeah. and uh, he, he speaks well, and he he's got a, a, a quite a big following. It, it, he's not the leader; it's not a political party per se. He goes to lengths to explain that to people. He says uh, political parties are actually an abomination under the Constitution. They're not constitutional and they've been used as an anti-democratic uh, force by the, the powers that be to control people and uh, uh, deviate true democracy. So he says uh, candidates who are independents in their own electorates, I'm talking about the next federal election, which I think it will be March... Oh, look, I'm not sure when it is, but the, uh, he says um, we support candidates who have been put up by people in their own electorates as known to be very good people. They've done years of service there. And then if uh, they would like to uh, adopt some of the uh, things that we recommend, we can say we endorse them. That's Australia One. Uh, but Australia One is not a political party per se. And... Um, you know, in this country, we, I think, I think, I think, Graham, what's going to happen is ultimately we're going to get rid of political parties. For the time being, it is probably important to use them. For example, we joined a political party, the only one here in Germany that goes up against the measures. However, they uh, they're not in parliament yet, but they are the most 
the party with the most potential because there's oh. so many people out there who would join it except right now it's being infiltrated by others we're we're doing our best to clean this thing up but yeah. can you do us a favor and connect us with ricardo because i saw his speech and it was very very inspirational no, i would love to interview him yes no i'll do my best to do that and uh, i've actually spoken at one of their uh, uh, south australian meetings here several months ago and uh, it's a good group and yes i'll do that so, so connect uh, i'm a notes man connect rhino with uh, ricardo yep no, you'd, you'd get on very well with him um he's the sort of bloke you'd uh, you'd want leading your platoon or something well he was much higher than a platoon leader he was a lieutenant colonel and uh, he's he's disgusted with the current leadership at the highest levels in our army you know they're they haven't got a backbone. They're more interested in LGBTI than uh, than fighting the enemy. Uh, it's the, yeah. the people a bit further down that uh, they're never allowed to get to the highest uh, levels, so-called. Um, they're the ones still um, on our side. The others are traitors, the ones at the very top, it's just like the politicians and the so-called health officials. Um, a lot of traitors in this country, and I guess it applies to pretty well every country. That's everywhere. one of the things that everywhere. astonished me. It, the, the evil bastards who've uh, perpetrated this have been working at it for a long time, as you know, uh, and they've got unlimited money to do whatever they want to, and they can buy off uh, most of the people that they target, uh, certain ones, though, uh, like yourselves, of course, and uh, Ricardo and uh, people like Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, John Ioannidis, you know, the great medical statistician from Stanford, Gates and Big Pharma were not able to buy him, whereas they have been able to buy so many of these others, so-called epidemiologists, virologists, uh, infectious diseases specialists, who are actually just charlatans. They, they've sold out to yeah. the Big Pharma. And they're the ones who you usually see speaking on the TV or writing in the newspaper. You know, if I was still watching the TV, I'd find a brick to throw at it these days. I've pretty well turned off it. And uh, I, I, the one, the sources of information I really like are, well, your, your own committee here, of course, and uh, UK Column. I get a lot of uh, yes. good information from you. Particularly when Patrick Henningsen appears on a Friday and I joined 21st Century Wire. That's his outfit. I think he's an outstanding uh, uh, supplier of information about geopolitics and he's a, a brilliant guy and he's such a he's like you people he's he's humble the best people are, uh, are, are humble people they're they never get full of themselves or carried away but gee they're great and um, Robert Kennedy of course his his outfit children's health defense and um, the health ranger Mike Adams I haven't got enough hours in the day to listen to all the, the podcasts and <laughs> what have you that they put out. And in any case, my wife gets cranky if I spend too much time doing this sort of stuff. So uh, there's a lot of good information out there for those who who seek it. Um, and uh, But, yes, if you're happy with getting what the mainstream media and the government tells you and you will, you're, you're doomed, basically, unless you wake up very Absolutely. quickly. That's one of the pieces, one of the most important pieces of advice we got from one of the psychologists when people asked us, what can we do 
to regain our peace of mind. The first thing he said, disconnect from the mainstream media. Don't mm -hmm. watch public television anymore because that's what most Germans do. And that is so important. Disconnect from the mainstream media, go out into nature, take a walk, go, go run. That's what I do. I run with my dogs. And then if I get really angry, angry like you do, I go down uh, to my fitness room <laughs> and really? I fight it all off. That's I knew we had a lot in common, Ryan. When I first saw you, <laughs> I liked what you're about. And uh, yeah, no, that's that's it. You've got to disconnect from. Well, it's like a, uh, it's the, what is it, the Truman Show? It, it's sort of hyper reality that uh, they've yeah. meshed people in, and the average person doesn't realise that they uh, they are entrapped in this uh, in this rather unreal situation, but. Uh, and then they go thinking that, yes, the government is a benevolent outfit for looking after us, keeping mm -hmm. us safe, very Orwellian. Uh, and uh, and they, they haven't been able to connect in their, their brain. It's sort of like uh, cognitive dissonance. But as you said, uh, the government's actually actively trying to kill us. They just can't accept that. They, they, no, a benevolent government's never going to do that to us. <laughs> This is our government, you know. <laughs> That's why they, uh, they find it hard to step outside of that hyper-reality. And um, But unless they do, um, they're probably doomed. Yeah. They are. They are. They're it's walking, the they're walking into the showers. They're walking yeah. into the showers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I never thought I, I would see a situation like this. Well, none of us did, I, I don't think, in our lifetime. No way. Mind you, I actually started studying the outfit responsible back in the mid-1980s and um, largely from the financial perspective, those who are controlling the world's banking system and uh, the UN and all those sorts of things and uh, infiltrating countries trying to break down um, nationalism, this sort of thing. Um, and then I had to step back from it uh, after being threatened with divorce eventually because I was spending too much time on it. You know, it, it can take you over because it, it's a pretty big thing and, and it's a fascinating area of study. I, I remember poring over Tragedy and Hope by Professor Carol Quigley. It's a you know, massive tome. I think Stuart Lindsay's got it at the moment. He hasn't given it back. He likes it so much. Uh, and that was they took that off the shelves out of the libraries, out of the bookshops, because Professor Carol Quigley got too close to the mark. He was revealing too many details about what these uh, global parasites had been up to for the previous couple of hundred years. And uh, yeah. But I got hold of a copy a few years ago. And uh, yes, I used to immerse myself in that, and, but only up until the late 1990s, and then I had to step back from it for a while. But I've got back into it from February last year. That was the trigger. And uh, even I was fooled by it for one week. One week when I looked at, again, here comes the television again, leads us astray, um, watching those images from China, um, people supposedly falling dead in the street, the Chinese building a hospital within 10 days, only the Chinese could do that the authorities welding together the gates of the compounds, the steel gates to, to lock the hapless inhabitants within. And then I just started looking at the data and there was nothing happening in the surrounding counties. 
this wasn't a pandemic or the start of a pandemic. It was bullshit. And uh, then I started listening to Johnny Anidas and he backed that up. He, he saw through it from the start. It was just a concocted pandemic, scamdemic. And uh, that's when I started writing about who was probably behind it, predicting what was going to happen. There was already talk of them developing a vaccine from quite an early stage. And I could see where this was going. No one would take any notice of me, though. But uh, most of the things that um, you know, I haven't had to alter very much, the the flyer that I wrote in April of last year, warning people about this so-called vaccine that was coming. And uh, still people are often not taking any notice of me, which uh, dismays me. No, it's but, different. It's different now, Graham. It's different oh, just, now. Yeah. Look, there isn't, you yeah. asked before, there is an awakening, but to me it's so bloody slow. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? Uh, you know, some, I think it was Dr Tom Cowan said a couple of weeks ago, we've seen, we're seeing a pandemic of people who've decided not to think uh, facts mean nothing mm. to them. And, of course, it's a pandemic of lies, propaganda and fear porn from the mainstream media in cahoots with the governments. They're the true pandemics. It's not a pandemic of a virus, for goodness sake. No. Um, but no. so many people... We, yeah. We... <laughs> Well, Graham, we're going to have to let you go uh, because there's another Zoom call that I'm going to have to get on in a couple of minutes. But at least it was it was it at was, least you're it still was up inspiring. at a now. Here it's uh, it's <laughs> past one in the morning, and uh, I haven't written my my short talk for tomorrow because it's all up here, and I'm gonna I don't oh. need notes for it. I'm gonna mm -hmm. rip into those bloody doctors as long as I get a chance. Uh, <laughs> and a uh, couple of other things, but I've got to keep it within about five minutes. So I'll write it in a few hours' time. But, uh, look, I thank you very much for allowing me on your program. It's been a huge privilege for me to be able to, to meet you and your colleagues. And, um, and vice versa. You're a fighter, and uh, I want to see uh, a lot of the perps brought to justice in, in an appropriate manner. And uh, we're looking well, to your group to uh, to lead the charge there. I don't want to see them getting off the hook. When we when we beat them, I don't want to see them just drifting back into the shadows from whence they've come or under the rocks from whence they've come. <laughs> I want to see them dealt with. And uh, I so think I, I don't think they're going to get away. No, I don't think they're going to get away. Important, and, you know, it's important. It's absolutely like crucial that we really get them, like, and that they cannot go back into these positions because the same thing is going to happen again. You know, it's really. Exactly. I mean, I think the one ones who got their mention, fingers dirty this time, you know, they must not not have any responsibility anymore because they really they're not, yeah. you know, they're out of control and they're so immoral. Absolutely. I think it's. No, true. Uh, one of the, the final thing I want to mention was I've forgotten to now was uh, I like the works of the great uh, medical philosopher Ivan Illich from the 1970s. He wrote a book, famous book called uh, uh, Limits to Medicine, otherwise known as Medical Nemesis. Ivan Illich, I-double-L-I-C-H. He was a genius of some sort and he was also a Catholic priest. And he foretold exactly what we're seeing now. He said, unless Big Pharma is uh, 
stop doing what it's doing. It's, if it continues on its current trajectory, this was in the early 1970s, it will end up destroying humanity. So this is what we're seeing now. So I've got his book here. I, I'm revisiting it at the moment. And uh, he foretold all this, this nonsense. So they're making a pretty good fist of it now, but we're going to beat those bastards. You know what? You know what? Uh, you, you know who Rudolf Steiner is. Uh, he foretold yes, this exact same thing in 1916. Yeah. So yeah. those people, yeah. those people yeah. who were always closer to reality and who were in touch mm -hmm. with, I suppose, spirituality, they have known for a long time this is going to happen. But this is right. the end game. It is their end game. We're going to yeah. finish them. Exactly. We don't want our grandchildren having to fight this war, do we, Ryan? <laughs> no way, Jose. <laughs> Great to meet you. Okay, and, Graham. Uh, look, I'll, I'll get uh, Ricardo's uh, details somehow or other to you. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Great. Thank you very much. Good luck. Good, uh, yes, and good, good luck, luck with, with your speech tomorrow. Thank you. And we, we intend to have a good rally, and I'm sure you'll have an even much bigger rally in Berlin. It'll be massive. Massive. Absolutely. You're watching. Good evening. Thank you, Graham. Thank, Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Viviane. We are at the end of the sitzung. Leave meeting. Good evening. Good evening. Also ich glaube, das ist wirklich wichtig, dass wir uns das auch mit Australien so genau angeschaut haben. Weil Should have taken a closer look at Australia here because this is what's coming down the line. If things keep unfolding as they have, we can see it coming. And I, uh, we can see that things are uh, moving everywhere. People, well, the cracks, as we can say, in the dome of this uh, Truman Show have started to appear. And it can um, happen quite quickly, um, even though he uh, may say, oh, people are waking up so damn slow. But once things have uh, started unfolding, when the dam is sodden, when it's kind of uh, uh, wet through and through, it'll crack immediately, it'll, it'll break um, all of a sudden. So I think it's the right trend. Uh, it's really awful particularly for the children, that uh, they might be affected as well. I got another piece of news from a school where um, a suggestion has been floated to, um, to start uh, child vaccinations in the next few years of the five to ten year old. Um, so in uh, kindergartens where children are five or six years old, they want to get started there. So obsessive um, parents and uh, educators, uh, but um, overall, we can see that more and more people see it and uh, get um, their act together. We can see it with the demonstrations in Bernau and many, many other places in Germany and across the world. Now, I think this is really the movement in the right direction. Or what's your view? And especially the connections that we are establishing that's great stuff that people inspire each other that everybody has got something to contribute and that this way we really get things moving of course i'm impatient as well and you as well of course it'd be better to speed things up but things are moving and time is playing on our side it doesn't mean that we can stay on the sideline but we have to carry on with what we have started that's the way so well, 
in this uh, sense, we're at the end of, well, what I feel was an incredibly um, interesting and moving um, session. It's always uh, amazing what comes to light with our sessions. Well, then uh, we uh, rely on donations in order to keep this going. So we'd be happy to see if you could uh, continue supporting us in Oval Media, who do the technical end here, need uh, financial support as well for this. So otherwise, I'd say uh, let's meet again next week. But we will hold the next meeting on the 23rd, next Thursday, because we don't want to do this on um, Christmas Eve. Also, the people who support us here are not available. So we anticipated this uh, to the 23rd, and it'll be interesting again. Well, I would like to uh, wish you a, a very good Friday afternoon, a good weekend. Um, stand fast and um, stand tall and uh, keep it up. We'll have one video which I think uh, points in the right direction. But of course, we will, we shall provide. There's no other way. Okay, obviously. So, see you next week. to the kind of general public, the elderly and um, in nursing homes in the area, we would get elderly in with COVID. It was kind of interesting. And it was, it was weird. It was almost like a week after they would get their first dose, they would test positive for COVID. And then we started seeing patients coming in, you know, uh, I got my vaccination and a week later they're in with pneumonia. I can say for sure in 2021, this is the year of pneumonia, independent of COVID. I've never seen people with so many pneumonia, sepsis, and, and even in the middle of summer, you know, all summer, that's what we would get in the hospitals, pneumonia, pneumonia, pneumonia. After the vaccine rollout, I definitely noticed an uptick in heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, gastrointestinal bleeds, gastrointestinal complaints, appendicitis. Uh, we even saw pancreatitis, recurrent cancers. It was noticeably increased. We're it wasn't just me noticing it, it was everybody seemed to notice it. It became clear to me that there was something wrong. I knew nothing of VAERS, uh, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. I didn't know about our responsibility to report. It was never even talked about when these vaccines were rolled out. I mean, you'd hear it in the news here and there, but there was never this push to make sure providers were made aware that if you're getting patients in the hospital with issues, these issues, whatever, that here, here, you got to go to this website and start reporting and start paying attention to stuff. That was never educated to us at all. And I went on the website, I looked, and the first thing I noticed was that it said healthcare providers are required by law to report certain adverse reactions to VAERS. And I, I said, what do you mean? Like, what law? So, and then you look further, and it had a whole section on it, exactly what you're supposed to report. It's specific things you're supposed to report to VAERS after the COVID vaccine rollout. So that's when I started um, reporting patients on my own. Well, very quickly that became a full-time job in and of itself. I would say within three weeks to a month, I had already had 50 patients reported. Um, and that was just of the providers that were willing to tell me about patients, recognize that there may be a problem. So I went back to my administration and I said, I need help. 
you know, I, like, I can't do this all myself. It's overwhelming. I'm on the phone with the CDC all the time. I'm on the phone with these patients. I need more people to know about it so they can help me and we can do the right thing. But that was met with then resistance because that's when the vaccines were really starting to get pushed. Everybody's got to get vaccinated. This is how it's going to go. And by me admitting that we need to report because there may be some issues, it would create vaccine hesitancy amongst the healthcare workers, amongst the staff, uh, amongst the other staff, amongst the patients. Well, that's when things changed because I, I, I wouldn't be quiet about it. And what I did was I put envelopes in our emergency room and told many of the providers, hey, if you get a patient that comes in and they just got their vaccine or you think something might be related in any way, go ahead and put their demographics in the envelope and then I'll take care of it and call the patient and get the report done. Thinking it was only going to be a few reports a week, no. It turned into, like I said, a full-time job very quickly. When you roll out an emergency use product that you're going to mass release on the population, wouldn't you assure that you have safety mechanisms in place? The first thing you would do is assure that people were educated about side effects, what to report, who to report to, before you did that. That should have been the first thing. Educate your healthcare providers who are going to see these people in the hospital. Well, then how come we didn't get educated as healthcare providers? Well, I was told we're supposed to educate ourselves. It's not their responsibility. Why are we not wanting to report this? I don't. I don't know that it's a matter of not wanting to report it. I think the the position the system has taken is that each provider has a responsibility to report on their own patients. But if the providers aren't provided education on what we're supposed to be reporting and the importance of such, how do they know to do it? But I believe the providers should educate themselves when they're when they're dealing with uh, patients related to COVID vaccination. They don't even realize that these are the, specifically the conditions that we're supposed to be reporting to there. Yeah, so when we had a ton of them, I mean, we get thrombocytopenia, blood spots, just Tuesday, I think it was, we shipped out, I think, three cardiomyopathies, blood clots. We got a guy on the floor, well, he just died, I just pronounced him a second ago, who got his shot, and literally two weeks later, the guy ends up with like, cancer blown out of nowhere, a, a, a portal vein thrombus, like, just get strokes by a lady that, that had a stroke within 48 hours of her vaccine fully on anticoagulation. I had a lady have a bilateral PE and she was on Ellisbrook after her vaccination. I know these are things that are reportable. That our hospital system talked to their risk management team and I was no longer allowed to report on any other patient but patients of my own that I saw where there was a warning that I was told I must support the vaccine effort and the approach to the vaccine. You know, during the pandemic, um, I received a, an, an excellence award for just my patient care and just how dedicated I am. And, and, and now I'm being looked at as a dangerous individual that's putting my patients in harm's way. My boys. <laughs>